right, so I uh, I'm getting everything together, and I'm like, wait a minute, I forgot to pull up a music track. I gotta have bumper music. It's always something. If you are not following Mike Benz over on Twixer, you should be. Mike Benz, B-E-N-Z, Mike Benz Cyber. You'll thank me later. Either that or you'll run away horrified. I'll get to that in a minute. Oh, boy. Anyway, all right, welcome everybody. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at SciFiForMe.com, where we just posted a review of the movie Wineville. Jason Nadler uh, reviewing that for us. Uh, it is based on an actual incident. Uh, so that review over there, it's a, it's a murder thriller horror type of, of film. Uh, we also posted the winners of the World Fantasy Awards, which uh, took place this weekend at the World Fantasy Convention that was here in Kansas City. We didn't go. We probably should have. Anyway, all right, give a shout-out to everybody who is listening to us as a podcast. We've got people in Canada, the U.S., Russia, France, Germany, Spain. Good to see uh, all of you here. You can listen to this show on a variety of different podcast platforms. Uh, the live chat is open. You can always leave a comment or uh, share an email, share your thoughts in an email live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom You can join our Discord and sit and uh, connect with us on all the different social medias and whatnot and everything there. Okay, so. <clears throat> so. Where to begin? All right, so Mike Benz, uh, this is just a very brief uh, a very brief thing. Mike Benz is the uh, uh, executive director at the Foundation for Freedom Online, and he has uh, taken to Twixer with a campaign to drop the T on all sorts of censorship, you know, the censorship matrix, as I call it, uh, the intelligence community, academia, Big tech, social media, the entertainment industry, everything together uh, to censor you. And he has dropped some really interesting factoids and, and videos and information, some thoughts. And, and I, I recommend following him because he's got some scary stuff uh, there. Um, <clears throat> real quick thing. Uh, th this, is, this is still a thing. Uh, Zevius uh, over on uh, Twitter talking about uh, he, apparently uh, he got police showing up on his doorstep a, a possible swatting I don't know you guys stay safe out there because this is this is stuff that's still going on you need to just keep your head on a swivel and be very 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 careful out there um Speaking of Canada, because Zevius is in Canada, Mike Ben's talking about uh, censorship and big tech. Here's a story from CTV, Canada TV. Half of Canadians say they can't tell the difference between real and AI-generated content. This is something that is... This is something that is very... 
uh, troubling because it's it's indicative of where we're going with AI. And I know a lot of people are talking about AI is not really intelligence. It's not really artificial intelligence. Okay, fine. But that's the nomenclature that people are using. It's AI. So where is all my, where's all my stuff? Why am I getting... Hang on just a second here. I've got a I've got a tech thing going here. Somebody give me a somebody give me a comment in the chat somewhere because they're not apparently showing up. Where are they? Let me reload that. And let me reload that. Where are they? What kind of comment? Well, it doesn't look like. Why is that not working? That's very strange. Hang on just a second here. Let me do this. Let me turn it off. Turn it back on. Reload. See, this is what happens when I go away and, and decide we're not we're not doing stuff anymore and then we kinda kinda do stuff and it's not pulling in the YouTube comments. Why is that why is it not pulling in the YouTube? It should be. Let me do this. Hang on just a second here. Let me let me pop that back out. No, I don't want to. No, I don't want to insert an ad. Pop out the chat there. Now let's reload. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work or not. It was working. I had to re. I had to reinstall it. Sci-Fi Snob says I look very handsome today. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Oh wait. Got to go back to me. All right, so half of Canadians say they can't tell the difference between real and AI-generated content. Uh, this is Alexandra May Jones, CTV News. Uh, most Canadians believe they have encountered misleading AI-generated content on social media in the past six months. Um, but half also don't have confidence in their ability to discern between AI-generated fake news and human-produced content, according to a new study. Released Monday by the Canadian Journalism Foundation, this was uh, a, a week ago, the study surveyed more than 1,500 Canadians on their knowledge of and concerns about AI-generated content on social media and online spaces. There were clear generational differences in the responses, with younger Canadians more likely to state they had noticed AI-generated content. Quote, when half the Canadian public is challenged on deciding what's real or not, uh, the credibility of both journalism and media outlets has never mattered more. John Wright, executive vice president of Morrow Public Opinion, said in a press release, the survey was conducted for CJR by Morrow Public Opinion, a professional services firm which runs public opinion polls. See, this is the kind of thing. Nearly three-quarters of Gen Z respondents say they had personally encountered misleading AI-generated content on social media in the past six months. How do they know? How do they know? This dropped to 63% of millennial respondents and 53% of both Gen X and Boomer respondents. How do they know that it's AI content? How do they know it's AI generated? Because it's very, very, very difficult. It's a challenge. It's becoming more of a challenge to find the, the, the tells. You know what we call in, in in gambling, they're called tells. You have this... This physical thing, this this something, 
and it's not always it's not always really really obvious sometimes it's very ephemeral sometimes it's subconscious but there's something about it that just doesn't quite look right we used to call it the uncanny valley and the uncanny valley is still kind of there this these days but how do you know <coughs> i don't know all right, so let's see. This is going to work. There it is. There's sci-fi style. How can you tell the difference? Most journalists are so bad they read like AI-generated content. They do. They do. Cam uh, asking if I had a fight, if I'm having a fight with my razor. No. It's winter. But I will, I will say this. This is as long as it gets. This is not, I'm not doing, I'm not doing the ZZ Top. I'm not going to look like Corey or, or Culture Casino or any of the rest of the guys. This is, this is it. This is, this is as far as it gets. So, anyway. Historians are going to look back on this time. With the AI stuff, with the cyber, with the, with the, the, Online behavior, the censorship, the the politics, the ideological stuff. And they're going to shake their heads and wonder what we were all smoking. Just because. You have (laughs) various different things here where it's... it, It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever... That people should be behaving like this. Sci-Fi Stump says, I spent a whole, uh, I spent a summer during high school working in the Uncanny Valley, best summer of my life. You know, there's something to be said for nostalgia and and back in the day. Uh, You know, they're going to look back on this stuff. The 80s will continue to be the greatest decade, uh, at least for entertainment. Maybe for geopolitical events because, you know, fall of the Soviet Union and whatnot. But there have been repercussions off of that. And Mark Miller had some interesting things to say on Twixer uh, recently. He's thinking that Marvel or DC, one of them needs to hire John Byrne. He thinks thinks DC needs to put John Byrne on a two-year run for Justice League. I agree. It's never going to happen because those kids over there, you know, these are the same people who sat there and said Walt Simonson is old-fashioned. Simon, Walt Simonson. They wouldn't hire him because it's old-fashioned. John Byrne on Justice League, I'd read that. I would read John Byrne on Justice League. If he had a two-year run, sign me up. I'm, I'm there. The problem is, and you go into the outside office politics stuff of this, a lot of people don't like John Byrne. He's difficult to work with. Not not from a standpoint of politics. I don't know what his politics are. But uh, people are like, he's just, a, he's just a mean person. He's just a mean person. You know, people don't get along with Byrne doesn't get along with people. Okay, fine. Just give him Justice League and let him do his thing for two years. It's never going to happen, but wouldn't it be fun? I don't know. But, you know, it, it, it's that kind of thing, though. A lot of these guys who can't find work, who, you know, are not going to get the work at Marvel and DC are going, they're going indie. They're going to go do their own thing. Substack or Zoop or whatever the other one, the other platforms are, Webtoon or whatnot. They're doing their own thing. They're doing the indie stuff. And indie comics, indie graphic novels, indie magazines 
are are flourishing and and I keep leaning toward this one that we keep thinking about doing with Fantastic Encounters and and as far as I can tell Fantastic Encounters has not been used as a title for any kind of a sci-fi magazine. I'm encouraged. But you know, this indie scene stuff, this is where it's going to go and I've got some people that are interested and I've got some names that I can na- I can name names of people that are interested. But I'm not going to yet. Because I don't know that this is going to be a thing yet. I would like for this to be a thing, but it may be more trouble than it's worth. Because most everything these days are turning into more trouble than they're worth. Because I was listening, we were having a conversation after the show on Culture Casino's channel uh, Sunday night. And Culture was talking about all of the new hoops that you got to go through for, for YouTube. Because YouTube has just changed their algorithm again. And... What's what's happening now is that you got to do this, you got to do that. They favor the the preview, the premieres instead of the live streams now, and you got to schedule this, and then you got to move the schedule, and then you got to do this thing. And the other, and I was like, I don't. I'm ten years ago, I maybe I would have had the patience. I might have had the patience to do it ten years ago, but not now. It's just too much. I, I'm going to push the button. I'm going to start streaming. If people show up, they show up. If I even decide to do a stream. That's that's where I'm at right now. Uh, Keely Chow, Roll Tide. Uh, remember when liberal and conservative comic creators worked together to make great comics for DC and Marvel? Beverage Farm remembers. Yeah, well, you know, Chuck Dixon makes the, tells the story, and he's told it more than once, about working with Denny O'Neill over on a Batman run. Denny O'Neill was the was the resident liberal. I mean, he was the bleeding heart liberal at the time. And Chuck Dixon, of course, being a conservative. And they worked on Batman together. And they worked on Batman together rather successfully. And they got along. And there, there I mean, it wasn't a contentious thing, at least from what I've heard. They, they did the work. Because we're telling Batman stories. I saw a, 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 a frame grab of a picture from the new Flash number one. Flash number one, 2023. This is the new issue. I guess part of the part of the, the dawn of DC rebirth, whatever event thing that they're doing now. And I don't know if it's Barry or if it's Wally. It's the Flash. <clears throat> but he's caught... In the midst of a big press junket, all these journalists are surrounding him, and one of them asks him, does Gorilla Grodd want to defund the police? I was like, give me a break. When are we going to get past this crap? It's just so annoying. It just is so annoying. But there is... There is occasionally, occasionally there's a glimpse, possibly, of some hope. And we'll talk a little bit about this. Here's, here's an indication. In January, Marvel is putting out the new Ultimate Spider-Man number one. Now, if you'll notice here, they've, they've put in a couple of the variant covers they've posted here over on Twixer. Now, you notice this is featuring... A married Peter Parker and Mary Jane with their kids. 
What? Wait, what? This is Jonathan Hickman is the writer. Marco Cicchetto uh, is the art. Uh, uh, covers The variant covers, this one here is by Ryan Stegman, and this other one by Elizabeth Torque. These are stories about Mr. and Mrs. Parker. This is on sale in January. So I, every now and again, you get these little hints, possibly, that maybe things are going okay. And then you get this. The writer of Spider-Man 2 for Insomniac, the game, apparently has been inserted into the game as the Mary Jane model instead of the actress, motion capture actress, who is actually the Mary Jane model. So, I mean, two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, two steps back. I don't know. It's it, uh, Stop doing this. And this is just the latest example of a self-insert. Now, you know, of course, you know, it's 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 a completely different department. The writing and the art and the development and everything is like they don't talk to each other. They're not coordinating with each other. There's not there's not some kind of a plan. Just somebody randomly put the Mary Jane model to look like the writer of the game. Come on, we're not stupid. I mean, some people are, but we're not. We know better. <laughs> Speaking of knowing better, I am. <laughs> Cam says most people are in fact stupid. I, I, I'm going to let me let me qualify this. Let me qualify this because I don't think most people are stupid so much as they are. They are victims of their own ignorance. They're not stupid, but there's certain things they don't know, and there's certain things that they haven't experienced, and they have, they have a limited sphere of knowledge and and experience that prevents them from understanding certain things. Let me say it that way. It's difficult to get those people out of their bubble. Now, Mrs. Boss is on the phone over there, so yeah, this is where I would talk to her about people in bubbles, because we know people in bubbles. <coughs> but it's... Uh, sometimes it's hard to get people out of those bubbles, those spheres of influence. Now, you talk about a sphere of influence. Here's a new one for those of you who are doing any kind of online dating. <laughs> um, Tinder has added a new feature. And the only reason I bring this up is because Mrs. Boss and I met on Tinder. So, and, and, and it's been a very, very, very positive experience. But I'm glad that this feature was not there back in the day. Tinder's app gets more social by letting friends play matchmaker. This is a new feature. This is tech. Uh, uh, this is TechCrunch. Uh, Sarah Perez writing. Uh, Dateline October twenty third. Dating app users will often sit with friends as they swipe through their matches in order to gain feedback, or even hand over their phone and let their friends swipe for them. That's a very dangerous game. Don't do that. 
Now that real-life experience is becoming a part of Tinder's product as the company is introducing a new feature called Tinder Matchmaker where users can invite their friends, including non-Tinder users, to view and suggest potential matches. The idea, the company explains, is to allow Tinder users to learn who their friends or even their family members think would be a good match for them, and it's inspired by Tinder user data. Okay, I'm going to stop right there because right there is the key part of this whole thing. It's getting more data on their users. That's all this is about. We're going to get more information on you so we can turn you into a product. We're going to commoditize you as the user. And we're going to sell that information. That's all this is about. That's what this is. And, and I'm really... kind of fed up with myself at how much I look at all of this stuff now through the lens of paranoia and suspicion. I I don't trust any anybody very much anymore, especially the online stuff. Anything anything out there in the if it's not inside the the walls of this compound, I don't have total control over it. I mean, I don't have total control over Mrs. Boss over here. She'll, she's got opinions of her own. I can't do anything about it. But so far, we seem to be of a like mind most of the time. And that hasn't been any problem. And she's not hearing anything that I'm saying right now because it's on the phone. That's great. <coughs> but I think, I think the problem with this stuff is the 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 lack of humanity in a lot of our tech stuff and a lot of the censorship stuff it doesn't have anything to do with with who you are as a person it has to do with how much can we make how, how much can we profit off of you how much money can we make off of you what uh, what can we sell what can we sell from you and it's, it's, you know, yeah, Mrs. Boss has an opinion of her own. She, she does that. And I, you know, it's, it's not bad. Yeah, we do okay. But I say, I said the other day, and I can't remember if this was on our, our stream or if it was on culture stream. Uh, in the, in the eight years that Mrs. Boss and I have been together and the four, how long have we been married? Four years? Four years, right? I think so. Yeah, 19. Yeah, four years. So the eight years we've been together, the four years we've been married, we have not had a major fight. We haven't even really had a minor fight. We've had some disagreements. There have been some spats, some little, you know, moments of consternation and frustration. But it's there's never been... There's never been a fight, which I find surprisingly refreshing. I say surprisingly because most people, you know, you, you're going to have the knockdown drag out at some point. I mean, some of the some of the some of the discussions that I've had with my kid could be the stuff of legend in in terms of histrionics and energy. What? 
Maury Povich level of stuff. I, I, I was just sitting there thinking Springer. Springer comes to mind. Yeah, on a, on a couple of these things. I don't know. And I got to tell you, I've been watching Frasier. Frasier is not genre, but you know, so I don't I don't talk about it very much. But we're we're what four episodes in? <coughs> Every episode so far, I have seen myself in Frasier and his relationship with his son. And as as funny as the show is. Every episode so far has ended with a little bit of an emotional just gut punch. Reaching a twist a little bit. It was like, stop doing that to me. But it's a good show. I recommend it. Um, you, you talk about what, what people can sell. What can the corporations sell based on your involvement? And we get to Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, this is MovieWeb. David Grove writing this article, Why Hollywood Won't Cast Ezra Miller Anymore. They can't make any money off of it, for one. But this gets into a very interesting examination of what's going on with this person. And he does it in a very interesting way, uh, David Grove does. Over four months after the disastrous theatrical release of the superhero film The Flash... The film's star, Ezra Miller, has seemingly disappeared. Since the film's theatrical release, Miller has neither commented on the film's box office failure, which has been blamed for essentially leveling the DC Extended Universe, nor secured another acting role. Now, the, the, Flash, the failure of The Flash did not destroy the DC Extended Universe. That decision had already been made to reboot it when they hired Peter Safran and James Gunn. So, yeah, The Flash... The Flash was part of a universe that was already dead on arrival. Okay, so let's let's be clear about that. The Flash didn't help, didn't revive anything, didn't extend any, you know, enthusiasm or inject any kind of an energy into it. But the DCEU, the Snyderverse, was already dead. <coughs> Continuing. Of course, Miller's extended absence from the spotlight since the film's release, is an extension of Miller's virtual disassociation from the film's marketing campaign, for which Miller was either unable or unwilling to make media appearances in promotion of the film before the SAG after strike, ostensibly due to Miller's well-documented legal and personal problems. Now, we had also heard, as an aside, we had also heard that Warner Brothers told him to sit down and shut up. This is part of the deal. <clears throat> Snob thinks this article was written by AI. What makes you think so? What did our vice president say? We we have to make sure that we are not discriminating against AI. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> Indeed. Continuing here. Indeed. <coughs> As Miller's off-screen problems redirected so much attention away from The Flash, it seems inconceivable, given the film's epic financial failure, that Miller would ever be allowed to reprise the role of Barry Allen, a.k.a. The Flash, at any point in the future for the DCU. He, it, it, that's not going to happen. 
Moreover, as Miller's relationship with DC and distributor Warner Brothers Pictures would seem to be irretrievably broken, there are large questions regarding whether the controversial Miller is still considered employable within Hollywood, assuming that Miller still wants to work. While The Flash has received fairly respectable reviews, <clears throat> including for Ezra Miller's performance, the film stands as one of the biggest box office failures in relation to the film's mammoth production costs in recent history. And those numbers, we don't know exactly what the numbers are, but we suspect what they are, and they're, they're a lot different from what they got reported. It, this was a much more expensive film uh, to make. The Flash, which had a reported production cost of between $200 million and $220 million, grossed just over $270 million at the worldwide box office. Assuming that The Flash had a marketing cost of approximately $100 million, The Flash would have had to have grossed at least $600 million at the worldwide box office just to reach its break-even point theatrically. Now, we've talked about this. They've talked about it over on Midnight's Edge. They've talked about it on Valiant Renegade and, and, and uh, Culture and Comics Division, all these guys. Uh, that num those numbers are low. This this movie probably clocked in at two hundred seventy to three hundred million dollars to make, in addition to the marketing stuff. This thing needed to be a billion dollar baby, and it wasn't. But basically, going through all of this, this this whole thing basically says Miller's done. Miller's career is finished. And the interesting thing about this. This whole article, Snob says it seems like it was written by AI. I don't think it was because David Grove, who writes this article, not once, not once throughout this entire article is Miller referenced by a pronoun. Not once throughout this entire thing is there any pronoun used For, for discussing Ezra Miller. And I think that's very, very interesting. Because Ezra Miller wants to use the they-them. Right? <coughs> and, whatever. And a lot of the journalists, and we talked about this before, you know, you're going to say what you're going to say in order to maintain your access, right? David Grove has done that. David Grove did not use a they-them. But he also did not use a he-him. Very clever, very clever, very clever. He also didn't use a beep, bop, boop. <coughs> and you know what that means? It means we're going to talk a little bit about Gina Carano when we get back. Stand by. Sci-Fi for Me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. 
conventions and fandom, previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi For Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi For Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. live from the bunker coming up in the second hour we will be joined by author Howard Andrew Jones he is uh, he is the author of uh, a series of books the second of which is out now it's called the city of marble and blood it's the chronicles of Hanavar book two uh, think uh, think Conan the Barbarian and the Roman Empire Good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, we've, we, I posted a review of the first book uh, not too long ago that came out in August. The new book is out now, and it's good so far. It's good so far. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the big story over the weekend because this was the thing. South Park did their uh, Into the Panderverse special. And everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about the attack on Kathleen Kennedy and all of that kind of thing. And um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it was attack so much as it was a legitimate cri- criticism in the form of of parody and humor. Because it's not anything that we haven't been saying before, right? Disney Company is in trouble. The stock price is continuing to not be good. Right now it's sitting at $81.36 a share. But what was interesting that came out of this weekend as far as the, the... South Park episode was the response to it from Gina Carano because Gina was right there in the heart of the whole thing. She, she, this, this was, this was the fixed point in time as the doctor would say, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. And Gina comes out with this response and they were talking about, you know, how, how Kathleen Kennedy is getting the blame for all of the Disney stuff being terrible. Now, Kathleen Kennedy, to be fair, is not in charge of the Walt Disney Company. Bob Iger is. And there's a board of directors there that doesn't know anything about entertainment, doesn't know anything about making movies. I mean, the the current chairman of the board is a Nike guy. He makes shoes. They don't know anything about any of this stuff. And she comes in and gives this response... And I'll read it here. This is the part 
where KK demands any YouTubers get censored off YouTube for sharing and laughing at this hilarious episode. She'll have YouTube disable the thumbs down option because of the ratio she'll receive. Then she'll have her publicist ghouls make sure Variety and The Hollywood Reporter run hit pieces about the South Park creators and their families smearing their names through every useful idiot she has under her thumb who would sell their soul to work for Lucasfilm. She'll activate her online mob to repeat that the South Park creators are racist, bigots, transphobes, and demand the South Park creators publicly apologize by only using words she approves of. And finally, she'll demand they subject themselves to a re-education course of 45 people in the LGBTQ community Zoom call to sit there and listen of how badly they've got their feelings hurt all over a little boop of a South Park episode. But maybe... Just maybe the jig is up. Now, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. And we have we have discussed this in various different places. We talked about it last night over on Comics Division's channel. We talked about it Sunday night over on Culture Casino's channel. By the way, go check that out because 90 minutes in, Drunk 3PO shows up and he starts spilling some tea. There is a lot. There's a lot that we still yet don't know. And Drunk 3PO, Jay Saturn said, you know, it's not my place to say, but he's seen some stuff. He's seen some documents. He's seen some emails and some. There are plenty, plenty of shoes that are about to drop. So. Uh, go check that out over on Culture Casino's channel. And he, he is over on Odyssey and Rumble and YouTube, same as we are. So uh, so do check that out. But this this first volley, it's not the only volley, it's the first of two. This one here, um, the thumbs down, disabling the thumbs down option, that happened after the whole fade in video got got taken all over the place. And that was the, what was that, the Oscars or the... Um, whatever that video was, uh, where she said, fade in, she read, she's reading the teleprompter, and she read the, the, the editing note, fade in. It was an Oscars thing, I think it was. And of course, people made hay with that. And she was thin-skinned enough and upset enough that she sat there and said, we got to take the we got to take the thumbs the thumbs down option needs to be removed from YouTube. That was about when that happened. I mean, you had the Captain Marvel stuff, and then you had this, and right after that is when YouTube disabled the thumbs down function. You can't do that anymore. You can't ratio your videos anymore. You can't see them at least. And then you have the hit pieces on the families. Which the trades did. Writing articles about Gina Carano's family and the real estate holdings and the and the and the business they have in in Las Vegas. You know, her dad, Glenn Carano, was a, a NFL quarterback before he got into real estate. And I gotta say, you know, I've I've I think I've said this before. I never made the connection. I don't know what it was. I think I was reading an article about her or something. And somebody, and it, some, some article mentioned her dad was Glenn Carano. And I went, hold the bus. Wait a minute. What? I'd never made the connection until I was like, <coughs> Glenn Carano. He was the, <coughs> he was the backup, backup quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. 
back in the day. He was he was back up behind Danny White behind Roger Staubach. That was my team. That that was the Dallas Cowboys. He's <laughs> shaking her head over there. All right. <clears throat> so all of the stuff that's in this tweet is stuff that she went through. The struggle session, you sit down with 45 people in the alphabet soup crowd who sit there and say, you hurt my feelings. The struggle session, that's a Marxist communist concept. This is, this is something, this is something that people do in not free countries. They do this in China. And all of that happens. And then there's a response from one of these, one of these ne'er-do-well podcaster wants to keep access because... Because we know, and I think it was the Schmoes No podcast, I, I think. I, I could have it wrong. But we had one uh, talking about how a lot of people, a lot of the podcasters, a lot of the online media say certain things or they avoid saying certain things in order to maintain access, especially with the Walt Disney Company. And that includes Lucasfilm, that includes Marvel. Because you remember all of the brouhaha around Captain Marvel. Because we were looking at theaters to see how many seats were sold. And all of these things, all these photographs of all these empty theaters everywhere. You remember all that. And the only reason Captain Marvel made a billion dollars is because it was sandwiched in between a couple of Avengers movies. We're seeing it now with the Marvels too. With, the, with, with Captain Marvel 2 or the Marvels or whatever it is... It's not going to do very well at the box office at all. Number of combination of factors there. Brie Larson not being likable, being one. I feel bad for Iman Villani. I do. She brings an enthusiasm and an energy to that character of, of, of Kamala Khan. Go watch him as Marvel. I know everybody... It's pretty good. I enjoyed it. It doesn't have to be high art to be something that you enjoy. Mazer's dropping in the chat saying hello. Good to see you there. <clears throat> and by the way, Mazer's was good to see you. Uh, wait, was it, was it Mazer's? Who was it that just finally dropped in on the, on the, uh, on the Discord? I think it was Matuine finally showed up in, in this. It was Matuine. Yeah, Matuine just finally showed up in the Discord. By the way, we've got a Discord server. You can join us on Discord if you like. So, so then one of these podcasters uh, around the galaxy who has been uh, not not nice, and he's been very, 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 very critical of women who have expressed their disappointment with modern-era Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Solo, other things. And he's just basically been... And he's one of the few that has gotten under Drunk 3PO's skin. And Jay even said... 
there's not too many people that upset him to the point where he's he's like ready to punch somebody's lights out. Uh, I'm I'm paraphrasing there, but you could tell that. Yeah, it, this guy this guy has upset a number of people, and he and he's not relevant. And don't don't go don't go to his account anywhere and and don't just don't engage with this guy. But basically, put out you know Gina's lost her mind. <coughs> but Gina has has posted all this stuff, and we we had a suspicion that a lot of this stuff was going on. And she had said some of it in that interview with Ben Shapiro and Daily Wire, and then she done. She just went silent on this stuff. She didn't talk about it. She would go and do other work and, and just move on. But this opens the door. <clears throat> and the second post, see, the first volley, that was just, you know, that was, that was a pretty good mother of all bombs that she dropped. But it wasn't anything like this next one, which goes scorched earth. <coughs> and she's specifically talking to this guy, Pete. But it it gives her the opportunity to talk about everything else. And like Jay says... There's got to be more than this. He knows that there's more to this. But just reading this, I have questions. So here, here we go. <clears throat> Do you always call a woman crazy just because she has more firsthand experience than you and says something you don't like or understand? A bit misogynistic, don't you think? I like how she's using their words against them. Tisk, tisk, she says. Curious if your overlords pay you, or do y'all just go ahead and shove your whole head straight up your ass for free? I'm guessing for free, might want to come out for some fresh air. For some added context, this is where it gets interesting. For some added context, not just for you, but for the other people reading, one of the things your overlords asked me to do was to unfollow certain accounts because they said bad things about Kathleen Kennedy. That was a huge red flag for me. It would be for me, too. And I'm wondering which accounts that they said, you need to unfollow those people. I know I know. Drunk3PO is probably on that list. Geeks and Gamers is probably on that list. Doomcock's probably on that list. Nerdrotic's probably on that list. Don't, don't be, don't be following these people. You don't need to be following these people. And, and, and there are people online who say, well, you know, the Lucasfilm people following these people. The Lucasfilm people get paid to monitor some of these channels that they don't like so they can, you know, they do opposition research. That's not what this is. This is, you're not supposed to be following these people because these people are bad. These people are terrible people. I want to see that list. Just to satisfy my curiosity. If I were the head of one of the most powerful entertainment companies in the world, she writes, I would know that haters come with the territory and that maybe the haters are expressing their thoughts because they actually care. And caring is a good thing because as long as they care, well, hey, we have something to work with. See, this is the, this is the thing. The, the opposite of love is not hate. 
Because hate involves passion in the same way love does, or lust, depending on what you're talking about. There's always some kind of a passion that's involved in that. There's energy. There's emotional energy. There's an investment. Even if you're hate-watching something, you're invested in it. The opposite of love is indifference, and that's where we're at with a number of fans who have sat there and said, I don't care anymore. And when that happens, you have lost your customer base all the way to the point where they're not coming back unless you do something extraordinary. And Lucasfilm, as it currently sits, Disney, as it currently sits, is not going to do anything extraordinary to bring these fans back because that's not the fan that they want. Of course, that's the fan that's going to spend money on the stuff that they like. The audience that they're courting over at Lucasfilm, the audience that Disney is courting, are the blue hair check marks that don't buy anything. They want to complain about everything. They want to. They want to rally the troops online and get all their keyboard warriors in 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 place. But they don't buy anything. They don't spend money on anything. And they've been very clear in saying so. Why would you go after an audience that doesn't engage financially in your business? It's dumb. But this is where we are. Virtue signaling. Politics. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, well, hey, hey, we have something to work with. Maybe we can win their hearts back eventually, and maybe they do have some good things to add to the conversation, which they do and did. And at the very least, they're still buying the product. Look at Mando Season 1. Boom, the healing had to be begun. And all of that all of that got squandered in Season 3, but we won't go there. If you're a proper good leader, you learn how to embrace and communicate, not dictate and silence and demand your actors and directors unfollow and shame more than half your fan base and the people who have stuck with the franchise for decades. I want to know what directors got told to do this. Because we know she got told. But this is not just, you need to unfollow these people. This is also a demand. Not only do you unfollow them, but also call them out and shame them. That goes beyond, this is more struggle session crap. This is Marxist, communist, wrong thing. This is 1984 stuff. She says, side note, don't say the force is female, then allow only the men to express their political views online. In fact, just drop the ridiculous phrase completely. Of course, that goes back to what Pedro Pascal had posted, because he had posted some politically inflammatory things about the same time that Gina did, you know, posted her thing, which was not nearly as inflammatory as what Pascal posted. Gina Carano did nothing wrong. <clears throat> One of the problems your overlords are having right now is that they've made a lot of people completely stop caring about one of the most beloved franchises in history, all by bullying, pushing aggressive agendas, and trying to silence the people criticizing them. How are they able to tell stories they don't understand when the ones they identify with are the Empire? 
They're literally trying to squash the little guys, the rebellion. No wonder the storytelling is struggling. They fired and dehumanized people like me who did absolutely nothing wrong, all to virtue signal to people like you, the yes-men. But yes-men, unfortunately for you and them, do not drive culture. Maybe they were banking on the kids picking up the slack, but one of the best things about this franchise is passing it from generation to generation to share. The competition is too high to throw out something as valuable as that. Why would one generation pass it on when you've disrespected and thrown them away? And this is an excellent point. You know, every generation has their entry point into Star Wars, whether it's the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, Clone Wars, Rebels, the sequel trilogy. Every, every generation has got an entry point. But every other generation says, hey, look at this thing that I enjoy, kids. I introduced Star Wars to my son. That's going to happen. I, we're going to pass it down. It's like, it's modern mythology. Here are the stories that I enjoy. Hope you do too. That's, that's this natural thing. But you get to a point where I just don't care about Star Wars anymore. Why would I tell anybody about it? I don't care. There's, again, it goes back to emotional investment. You don't care about something anymore. You're not going to want to talk about it. You don't have the energy for it. You don't have the patience for it. You don't have the you don't have the enthusiasm for it. Oh, it's this thing again. Your overlords tried to hide behind the two opposing fan bases fighting each other instead of taking responsibility. So they encouraged the hate, all while virtue signaling they are standing up for minorities, but instead using them as a shield and a weapon. Rose Tico. Reva. Funny, funny enough, just how our government works. <clears throat> Shots fired there. They think people will forget. And yes, maybe they will. But for this moment, they have heard the people's voice and it shook them. They're, sh they're choosing to stick with their weak leadership who couldn't handle YouTubers saying mean things online when all it would have taken is a true leader to step in, take the reins, take some responsibility, stop discriminating, apologize about the things they have done wrong, step completely out of politics, Florida, be truly inclusive, and they'd be back in business. Until then, they're stuck with you, the yes-men, and their plummeting stock. $81.36 right now. I'm not saying I'm right on all fronts, but I am open-hearted and refuse to discriminate based off of powerful people telling me how to think and act as if and, and if there was something I needed to apologize for, I would have in a heartbeat. But I didn't say or do anything wrong. People come up to me daily to shake my hand and thank me for taking a stand, even people who think different. One thing is true. Good leadership makes for a better world, leading to healthier and happier people and better opportunity. Look around. We are watching the devastating effects of what bad leadership can do worldwide. This one is scorched earth, folks. This one is scorched earth. And this one sits there and says, this is a bad, this is a bad situation. And I wonder who the, who the leadership is that she's thinking about. Maybe Favreau? The weak leadership, of course, we all know is Kathleen Kennedy. 
is she is she talking about John Favreau who could come in and take the reins and straighten things out? Because Favreau wrote Cara Dune for her. Rangers of the New Republic was going to be for her. It's just like Steven Soderbergh writing Haywire for her. And the reason for that is because she's got a big fan base in the in the in the martial arts community. Jay was talking the other night at the conventions. Over half of her fans are her MMA Muay Thai fighter stuff. They're bringing they're bringing gloves to sign and posters for her of her fighting days. You know her her American Gladiator stuff and all all the MMA stuff. This this is the fan base. This is the fan base that Disney completely ignores. Mazerus with $10 super chat. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. Using Disney Lucasfilm as an example, where are we in this cycle? Great to see you. Thank you very much for that, sir. I think, I think, I have said this before. I think we're, we're culturally, we're moving back towards center where things are going to kind of start balancing out and people are not going to be as energetically fighting each other anymore all right here we go we're going to take a break <clears throat> and on the other side of it howard andrew jones is going to join us we're going to be talking about his books stand by everybody we'll be right back on sci-fi for me radio sci-fi for me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction fantasy and horror Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. Conventions and fandom. Previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi For Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi For Me. Delivering the multiverse since 2009. It helps to turn the camera on. Welcome back, everybody. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hyde here in the second hour. Happy to have you here. And happy to be joined here also by Howard Andrew Jones. He is the author of uh, the Sword and Sandals uh, series, The Chronicles of Hanovar. Am I pronouncing that right, Howard? Is it Hanovar or Hanover? I always say Hanavar. It okay. sounds better. All right. That's what I was thinking. I wanted to make sure uh, because, you know, it's it's one of those things where I was like, oh, you got to get it right. So welcome, sir. Thanks very much for being here. Glad we were finally able to, to get some time in and get you in. I've been I've been meaning to do this and uh, we haven't uh, we haven't managed to do it until now. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Happy Halloween. Good to be here. Well, and, and happy Halloween to you. And I'm reading I'm reading the second one. The second book came out. The first book came out in August. The second book is out now. It's called uh, it's called The City of Marble and Blood. It's book two. And in my review of the first book, I said this felt Hanavar feels like an intellectual Conan the Cimmerian, uh, uh, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Cimmerian. But I think I need to revise that a little bit because this second book gives me Conan in the Roman Empire. Am I am I closer with that characterization? I think that's I think that's pretty good. I mean, yeah, I, I think both things are true. He's he's an older guy, older than we usually see Conan. Although there's a couple of Conan older Conan stories, um, and he has a different kind of drive to him. 
than Conan did. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I Robert E. Howard's one of my favorite writers, so I take a great deal of inspiration from him. Yeah. So where was the beginning of this? You've you've been in the sword and sandal type of, of milieu for a while, and some people are saying that you're the best of the modern era authors in this category. How did you get started writing this particular type of story? Wow. Uh, you know, I fell in love with it when I was in junior high, really. So I've been, uh, I, I grew up watching the original Star Trek. So the first things I was reading when I was a kid, and I mean a kid, this isn't grade school, would have been um, uh, the Star Trek James Blish adaptions and stuff. Um, but I started playing Dungeons and Dragons and through Appendix N, that's the the guide at the back of the original Dungeon Master's Guide. There was a long list of fiction that uh, Gygax and others recommended you should go check out. And on that list uh, was Robert E. Howard, which unfortunately neither the library nor the used bookstore had. But they did have uh, some Zelazny and some Michael Moorcock and some Fritz Leiber. And I, I started reading that stuff. And it just, uh, man, man, did that capture my imagination. And I kind of switched uh, from reading space opera and Star Trek knockoffs over to um, sword and sorcery and historical swashbucklers. And I've been there uh, most of the time ever since. Are there, are there particular pieces, particular elements of that kind of story that grabbed you more than other pieces? I mean, you, usually when you fall into a particular genre, there's something, thing there's some one thing or two things about it that really kind of reach out and grab you and say I, I i have your attention now was what was it about this particular type of story that drew you in do you think well you know i can talk about it in comparison to what i see in a lot of modern fantasy that makes me remain enamored of it um but i don't know if that's what immediately pulled me in from when i was young and i, I think these days, what I love is the forward momentum of it. Uh, a character who's already established and competent and doesn't have to go through a long arc as we wait him to wait for the character to suddenly become aware of their powers and grow into their understanding and hang out with an old wise man for a while and, and uh, discover true love and all that. Uh, I, I like these characters who are already um, competent and capable and on their hero's journey rather than just learning what it is. Um, but when I was a kid, I think it was the forward sense of adventure. And that's, of course, what I responded to originally with the original Star Trek, right, was the, uh, the great character interaction and the sense of adventure. And uh, the best sword and sorcery will, will transport you to strange places as well and uh, give you adventure and, and interesting people to interact with and uh, awesome villains to face. So when you're putting these books together, because you've, you've, like I said, you've got a history of this. You're, you've, you've been the editor of this, this magazine, Tales from the Magician's Skull, which is the uh, same kind of thing. It's, it's a collection of short stories and tales from that, that type of, of that genre, that, that category. It, it, is there certain things that you look for? to make sure this this has to be in the in the story that this element has to be there you talk about you know Hanavar is an older character um he's not you know the the callow youth that Luke Skywalker was at the very beginning of his journey and you talk about you know the hero's journey with Campbell and all of that are there particular things that you want to make sure are in your stories well i um 
I like the sense of forward momentum. I don't want to have to slow down a lot. I hate info dumps. Yeah. Uh, I hate, um, I hate a whole bunch of long backstory. I want something interesting to be happening right from the first page. I don't like slow ramp ups. And so as I structure every one of these, uh, I want to get things moving pretty fast, either with an interesting situation or an interesting character, something to get the story moving. Um, so th that's a crucial element. Um, that there's some stakes involved, yes. Um, that we care about what's happening. Um, I want to go to interesting places with interesting characters um, and have interesting things happen. And yeah. so that's... That's what I look for when I select a story for The Magician's Skull, and that's certainly what I do my best to write. So one of the things I notice on, on, the, on these covers uh, is this, these, these illustrations depict an event that happens in the story, but they're very, very, very early in the story. They're, they're like the first story, the first segment or two that are in there. And I think that's that's pretty smart marketing to have something, you know, if you're going to do something on the cover, it shouldn't give away anything. So you have this and it was like, Oh, this is, this is, Oh wait, I know what this, I, you know, cause I run across the scene like, Oh, okay. This is early in the book. He's not giving anything away, even with the cover art. And I think that's very smart. How much, how much input do you have and what goes on in the wraparounds and the, and the marketing of this stuff? Cause these are coming out through ban um, and we've, we've had conversations with Tony Weisskopf here a couple of two, three times. And by the way, I'll give a shout out to Tony for sending me these, but, uh, is, how, how involved are you on the back end? Well, that's the work of the talented Dave Seeley. Let's give credit where credit is due there for that cover work. Um, and I'm grateful to him for his, uh, f for his care and treatment of the characters. Um, but I'm really not that involved in the in the choosing of the covers or the scenes. I, I was asked to select a couple of scenes um, for the, for the first one, but uh, Dave was so um, Dave chose the scene for the second one. He he likes the books, and so he read he read an earlier draft and chose that particular scene to illustrate. Um, I did write um, the draft of the cover copy for book two, and I believe that's what's been used there. And whoever wrote the cover copy for book one used uh, an earlier draft that I think I still have on my website. Uh, but as far as the marketing, no, Bain's, Bain's been a, a huge help in uh, getting the word out and spreading the word and just being there for me when I need support. So uh, I couldn't ask for better. Have, how long have you been with Band? Because you you've had stuff published with other companies before, right? I mean, this is not your first rodeo. No, no. I used to be with St. Martin's. I was with St. Martin's for about ten years, and of course, I also did uh, four of the uh, Pathfinder novels for Paizo. But I've only been with Bain now. Um, well, these these are my first two books uh, through them. So I signed like what uh, about about a year and a half ago, um, and. Shattered Land just came out in August, and uh, City of Marble and Blood came out in October, just a few weeks ago. See, and that so, was the thing. That was the thing that surprised me. I was like, "Wait a minute, what? Book two's out already?" Yeah, because <laughs> I had just dropped. You know, we I dropped the the review for the first book, and you and I had been talking about getting you on to talk about that one, and 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 it's just been one of these busy things. And then suddenly, here's book two. You guys are talking about, and I was like, "Wait a minute, what did I hold on? What did I miss?" 
So there's there's kind of a compressed schedule there. But you're telling coming out after book two, we should be looking at a fairly regular release schedule after that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'll be more normal. I wrote uh, I wrote book two while my agent and I were shopping book one around, and that took you know six or seven months. So I went ahead and I love the character so much. I just went ahead and wrote the next one, and uh, I'm finishing up the revision of book three right now. I'd hope to turn it in by Halloween, but it looks like it's going to take me just a few more weeks. So we're not we're not looking at like uh, we're not looking at George Martin speeds here. <laughs> we're still going to see we're still going to see a new book every uh, eight or nine months, and hopefully people see how serious we are. Um, because the first two are already available and they'll get a, hopefully get a sense for what the series really is. What brought you to ban? Uh, what, what decided that for you? Cause you know, you're, you've got this new series you're shopping around. I mean, I would think you'd go to St. Martin's first cause you have a history with them. Is there a particular reason why bands publishing these? Is that, well, it's because Bane was a lot more interested, I think, in doing something, heroic fantasy sword and sandal um it just seemed more of a place for heroes as opposed to epic fantasy and i don't know that gosh this is going to sound i liked an awful lot of the people i worked with at saint martin's but for the most part i don't know that they were as expert on um uh, modern fantasy they have a couple of standouts but mostly mostly they don't seem geared toward promoting it Mm-hmm. Um, as, as, as much as say Tor does. And I wanted to find an imprint that could really back me and, and, uh, well, not just an imprint, a publisher. And, and yeah. certainly I feel like Bane has. It's funny. You mentioned modern fantasy because there's a lot of, a lot of talk online these days when, you know, especially when we get into reboots or remakes or anything, it's going to be reimagined for the modern audience. And those are, those are red flags for people and people are saying, Oh, this is going to be crap. And when you talk about the Hanover books being modern fantasy, I read them and I feel a little bit of a throwback here because this Good. Feels, this feels like Robert E. Howard type stuff. I mean, this is that level. And you talk about the heroic stories and the hero stuff. You know, we've talked to people like Declan Finn and Richard Palinelli and, and that group about the superversive type of stories that they want to tell, where there is a good guy and a bad guy. And a lot of storytelling nowadays with these modern sensibilities, the villain is not always necessarily the villain. You know, you don't have this clear delineation. It's, oh, well, these things happened to him in childhood trauma, and we need to understand. No, 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 no. Bad guy. We don't need the backstory and the bad guy to know he's the bad guy, right? When when you're thinking about all of this stuff, because Bain publishes these kind of things, you know, Larry Correa's over there, John Wright's over there, and we hear modern, and there's an automatic defensive move, like, oh, politics are going to get into this. How do you? I'm I'm assuming because I'm not getting any of that feel in these books. How actively are you trying to avoid putting politics into these things? Um, I'm not really trying or not trying. Okay. I'm trying to tell good adventure stories, but I don't know. You're a fan of the original uh, Trek. I could see that by looking yes. at, at the room behind you there. And a good story f- from the original Trek, like take Doomsday Machine. That's my personal favorite. Yes. When I was good. a kid, I just responded to the thrill of the adventure of the thing. 
Well, there happens to be a message in there, but it's not hitting you over the head. The message is that, hey, maybe we need to take a good look at creating weapons so powerful they could destroy us all. It's not really saying um, a huge statement about it, but it's saying maybe we need to pause and reflect about that every now and then, right? Yeah. But it's not hitting you over the head. And so I think in some of the Hanavar stories, you're going to see maybe that level of of message engagement, but you're not going to, I'm never going to be chasing the point around with a hammer and, and hitting it on an anvil <laughs> to try and make my point. Um, I want to be, I want to have the adventure front and center every single time. And maybe that's the difference between, I'm not saying all modern fantasy, but there are some uh, in modern fantasy who, who think that the point comes first and the adventure is maybe an afterthought. Yeah. Uh, they want to get points for saying something that they feel is important, and, and, and maybe it is important, but they've lost. The story has to come first. And, and that's, I guess that's where I am yeah. on all this. Well, and it seems like there are a number of authors that are in that same camp uh, mentally. You know, the, the story the, the story's got to entertain. The story has to engage. And if there's any kind of a message then it has to be done in a way that your reader can pick up on it or not as they want, not... Here's the message. Right here in your <laughs> face. And, yeah. you know... Yeah, exactly. Doing that. Yeah, and, and, and you know, people... So many people um, want to approach something with a political outlook, even when it's not intended. There's a, there's a story in, um, in book one, and I saw... Uh, one reader had uh, assumed I was trying to be critical of the George Bush regime because of one incident. It's like, mm. man, if that's all that you took from the story is that I was trying <laughs> to go after George Bush, which actually I wasn't, uh, then then you completely missed the entire yeah. rest of the tale. Right. You know, but but people are going to bring in their own stuff and apply it because, unfortunately, the way our the way our society is right now, people try to apply politics to everything I, i'm frankly tired of it oh yeah i I'm, I'm right there with you but i think nowadays though instead you know you talk about the 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 george bush thing i think most most people now you're going to really you're going to really trip some people up because you know online there's been discussion over the last i don't know couple of months about how men are obsessed with the roman empire i don't know where this came from <laughs> But men are always thinking about the I Roman saw Empire. That. Yeah. And now here you that. are in in the second book, especially this this, you know, the Durban Empire really does have the trappings and, and some of the names that you use, Flavius and Decius and those. I'm like, he's he's stepping right into this. It and let me ask you this, because there's so much of the Roman Empire ephemera here. Are you setting this? Is this Earth in the past in an alternate re, alternate history, or is this a, a different planet, or does it matter? It is not. It is not past Earth. Okay. Look, so I've been fascinated with uh, Hannibal of Carthage since I was about sixteen. I, I just uh, found him a fascinating character, and I wanted to do sort of a fantasy version, what if, with his life, um, but I didn't want to be stuck um, using all of the all the situations that he had really faced and all the people he'd really faced and, and go to every single place that he'd gone to. Yeah. Um, so I created a secondary world and I wanted magic to be real and there to be actual monsters. Uh, and so that's why I created a secondary world. Uh, and that's why I, I have sort of a Roman uh, 
it's very similar to Rome because uh, Hannibal is more interesting if he has Roman style opponents. And so Hanavar is more interesting if he's had a very similar life and very similar opponents. Uh, plus, I think it's just fun to write about that stuff. And it's it's funny that it's coming out right when the, right when that <laughs> right. name came out yeah. about men and but it's like I've been thinking about this since I was about sixteen so I I, I don't know what to tell you well maybe I, maybe I'm maybe the maybe I'm lucky and interest is striking at the right time I yeah. don't know well and I think it's also interesting too as I read this Hanavar's motivation and the things where you catch him at the at the beginning of this story. You talk about forward momentum. We're 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 getting him after terrible bad things have happened. He's recovering from that and now he has a new plan. And this idea of the hero uh his 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 goal in this story is not vengeance or justice or you know we're not you know we're gonna go get the bad guy and vanquish the villain or anything like that his motivation is i'm gonna save my people from slavery which is a really interesting take on a hero's motivation you don't see that very often what was the was there a particular impetus in that to because most of the time you're going to do a hero the hero goes after the villain and you're not you're not exactly doing that here no, I mean in individual instances, if if there's if there's a villain in the story that uh, needs to be taken down, he will take them down. But he's one man alone against a vast empire, yeah. and he has no resources, especially at the start of the first book. What can he do? Well, I often wondered what would Hannibal have done if he had been alive when uh, during the Third Punic War when the Romans came and they basically destroyed Carthage. They raised it. It was a it was an extermination. They sold um, thousands of people into slavery who survived, but they exterminated the rest. They raised the ground. They cursed, cursed the land. Um, it's like that's just astonishing um, that this that this happened. And, and we talk about the greatness of Rome, but we kind of gloss over the terrible things like you know constant slavery or the destruction of civilizations. Um, and I guess I wanted to highlight that. What would someone who had devoted most of their life to trying to uh, protect his people, what would he have done? And I thought, well, he'd probably try to protect his people. He'd probably try to salvage what he could. Uh, and so it just seemed like an interesting idea. And I did a little digging and it didn't seem like any, anyone had written about it. So I was off and running. There is a series of books from Anne McCaffrey, The Dragon Riders of Pern, that start off as a fantasy. You have dragons, you have uh, a feudal society, you've got, you know, you've got the dragon riders, you've got the craftsmen, you've got the civilians, the population. And eventually it becomes, uh, it gets revealed that Pern is an earth colony. Uh, are we looking at any kind of a reveal like that in this? I mean, spoilers, but it, are, you, are you thinking along those lines at all? No, okay. I'm sorry. That that is not uh, that is not a thing I intend to do. All right. Well, because you know, fantasy, science fiction, horror—they're all cousins to each other, and sometimes there's a little crossover with that. So sometimes you know, you just kind of make sure you kind of stay. So you've decided to stay in your lane uh, with this stuff. I, I like the idea of the magic being there, but it's not oppressively there. It's not 
overly done. This is not a supernatural fantasy story. This has supernatural elements, and every now and again there's some sorcery and some magic and some whatnot, but it's it's on it's on the edge. It's not right there dead center in the middle of everything, which I think is interesting too because you get Hanavar's reaction to it you know, especially when it directly impacts him, but also just on the side of what he thinks about this kind of stuff. And it's similar to Conan. Uh, you know, the Robert E. Howard stuff, it wasn't steeped in the supernatural, but you had it happen. You know, it showed up every now and again. And uh, when it did, it was creepy and strange and horrific yes. almost every time. Yes. And and that's that's the way I like to see sorcery. Um, it's not that I haven't read a, a good books where sorceries... Um, uh, used as almost like a science. Sometimes that's entertaining, but that's not really what I like to write. I like it when it's strange and unpredictable. Uh, otherwise, it's just science with the uh, serial numbers filed off. And I want something that that can uh, creep you out and you don't really want to be involved in. Yeah, yeah, dark arts and such. Well, and and the new. I don't know if you've picked it up. The new Conan the Barbarian comic book oh yeah Titan. yeah i'm i'm friends i'm friends with uh jim zub the guy oh, who's writing okay. it just okay. tremendous stuff yeah. pa- pass along my my congratulations because that is an excellent book so far De- delatore is is killing it on the artwork isn't he uh, yeah because <laughs> i i i looked at this stuff and i and i opened up the first issue and I, this looks like the old prince valiant newspaper strip and it has that feel of you know once upon a time, long, long ago, and and the artwork is just fantastic. But Jim's Jim Zub's given a really good story, uh, <clears throat> and it feels like Howard, and he's doing the same thing that you do with this stuff. Is it you're you're telling this overall longer, broad story in episodes? There's, there's, it's almost like it's not really a short story anthology, but you have a beginning, middle, and it's, it's a, it's almost a Saturday morning serial, feels like. With this, I, I kind think of, of it as like a season of uh, a season of TV episodes uh, of more modern TV, where if you watch them in order, um, you start to see things about uh, previous episodes or uh, longer arcs get revealed. Each can stand alone until the season finale. Mm-hmm. But if you read them in order, it's much more fulfilling. And that, that was my goal. And I think you'll, you'll probably feel that um, uh, book two is even more tightly integrated than, than book one was. Now, how much of that is planned ahead? How much of that is happenstance and, and serendipity as you go along with this? Well, it's actually planned pretty carefully. Uh, (laughs) um, I wanted the first book to kind of slowly get you introduced. Well, not slowly, but to introduce you to Hanavar as a character and his world and the situations. Um, So uh, I didn't want to throw you completely into the deep end. Um, And then book two, by this, if you're a fan by that point, then you understand what's going on. Uh, and even though, again, each each of them stands alone until the season finale, um, I, I do feel that there's a tighter sense of connection. And that's what, the way it's going to be moving forward, because hopefully readers will be familiar with the stakes uh, by this point. No. Now, uh, we are talking, just for those who are joining us, we are jo- talking with Howard Andrew Jones. He is the author of The Chronicles of Hanavar. Uh, book one, Lord of a Shattered Land. The review is over on sci-fi for me.com. 
Uh, the review for book two, The City of Marble and Blood, I will write as soon as I finish the book. I'm about... Uh, I'm not quite halfway through, um, and I'm enjoying it very much. Uh, and there's going to be... I think you told me there's going to be five uh, total. Is that right? There's five total, although I wouldn't mind writing another one or two. I don't want to extend this one forever. I think uh, I think Hanavar... Um, I'd like to send him off to a beach somewhere, you know, I don't want to have him adventure forever. Now, let me ask this. Is there any, has there been any discussion, any consideration for other people playing in the sandbox? Because you, you know, you've got other people have written uh, in David Weber's universe, for example, the honor Harrington universe, and he's got his main line and he's worked with Eric Flint and Timothy Zahn and various different people have come on board and written other side stories and stuff. Has, has there been any any talk about doing an anthology with other characters in this universe that maybe you just kind of put your stamp of approval on and other people get to play? Um, there's been nothing, um, how to say, it's not that it hasn't come up, but there's been nothing solid really discussed yet. So... Uh, much as uh, David Weber feels, I don't think I don't think anyone else is ever allowed to touch uh, Honor Harrington. I don't know that I'd want anyone else to touch Hanavar, but uh, I can you know, I might be open. Yeah, I might be open to uh, uh, people exploring some other characters in more depth. Now, Sci-Fi Snob asks, when does the Netflix adaptation come out? Oh, <laughs> uh, that would be awesome. Wouldn't well, it? you know, it's set up. It's set up to be adapted, um, right? I mean, yeah. it's got each book has fourteen episodes. So, uh, yeah, I think it'd be much easier to adapt than some other stuff. I, my dream thing would be to see it animated in like a Bruce Tim style, you know, oh, anim, uh, Batman yeah. the animated series style. Yeah. That would be something. Well, and nowadays, you know, there, with, with technology being the way it is and with so many indie creators having the tools to do that, you don't necessarily have to go with somebody like a Netflix or an Amazon or whatever. I mean, sure for the distribution, but for the actual production itself, you know, you get a couple of guys in the garage with the big, with a, you know, a, a fairly robust gaming computer with good graphics card, go to town. I mean, you could, you could do something. I saw somebody, and I don't even remember who, who it was that put this together, was a kind of an anime style uh, montage of scenes from the, from the six Star Wars movies. And it was really well done. And I've seen some guys that are doing CG spacecraft models and stuff that you would, it's ILM level work that these guys are doing at home. And oh, you, wow. know, you see a bunch of fan films, you know, you know, talk about Star Trek fan films, you know, Star Trek continues, Star Trek phase two. And, and a lot of these guys are doing stuff that looks in some cases, looks better than the CG that they did on the remastered original series here not, not too long ago. I mean, technology has really opened up the doors for that kind of thing. So, you know, you could jump on Kickstarter or Indiegogo or, or Fund My Comic or whatever crowdfunding platform you want to use, you know, Shopify or whatnot, and sit so there go, hey, give me money, let's make a Hanavar series. <laughs> you, know, you wouldn't even have to go to go to a, a, a network. Oh, wow. Well, that would be... Uh... That would be a, an idea for another time. I'm pretty much working morning, noon, and night 
on the Hanavar series right now. Yeah. So now you're also yeah. the editor of Tales from the Magician's Skull. Tell me about how did that get started? How did you get involved in that? Well, it actually, <clears throat> so, uh, I'd been friendly with Joseph Goodman, the guy who publishes, uh, Tales from Magician's Skull. He's the creator of Dungeon Crawl Classics, the role-playing game. And, um, I used to uh, write game reviews for a magazine called Black Gate. And so I'd become friendly with Joseph. And at some point I swung by his booth at Gen Con when I was there um, and gave him a copy of my first novel through St. Martin's, which is a Arabian historic fantasy, also sword and, sword and sandal kind of stuff. I gave him Desert of Souls. And as happens with busy people, it took him a couple of years to read it. But he yeah. eventually, I don't know, two or three years after uh, – He's, he says, hey, you know, um, uh, Goodman Games puts together a, a magazine every year for just for Gen Con. Uh, would you be interested in writing a short story for it? Well, I said, yeah, definitely. And I uh, gave him the first ton of our story, which I had been working on for several years uh, trying to get right. And he loved it. And so he printed it in there and then he contacted me again before the next year was up. I was like hey I'm thinking about doing it again I'm like sure I'd be happy to and then he contacts me like a week later and he says hey do you know any other sword and sorcery writers which was funny because he didn't know how many sword and sorcery writers I knew and had been hanging out with for decades yeah I said of, of course so could you contact a few of them and see if and it's like I'll be happy to and then and then a couple weeks after that he contacts me again and he says hey you know I'm thinking about starting a magazine and at that point, I uh, I jumped up. up and down. You got please, set up. please make me the editor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got <laughs> set up. Sounds like yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just a little bit further. Just a little bit further. Let's just you know lead lead the horse to water. And oh, <laughs> hey, by the way, that sounds like that sounds like what happened there. Um, but how, what kind of experience has that been? Because uh, we've talked about a number of times here where we've talked about doing a print edition of some things in the in the style of the old Starlog magazine. And this is a That'd this is cool. more a, star, a, a an anthology of short stories, uh, which I would I would want to include in mine. But how hard is it to put one of these things together, really? Oh, my goodness. Well, so. Goodman handles all of the art in the contacts with that and the printing. And he has, he already had a whole lot of experience with that because he had done a whole lot of game stuff mm -hmm. for dungeon crawl classics at the point that the magician's skull launched. He already had a dedicated fan base uh, and followers. If you're going to be starting almost from square one with printing and making art contacts, I think it would be a lot harder. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know quite how to answer that. Me, I would have had a much harder time starting out because I wouldn't have had all these artists I already was familiar with. I wouldn't know how to contact the printers and get it all set up. That said, um, I'm sure with your contacts, you could ask enough questions of enough people in the know. You could probably get up and running and not feel like you're completely, uh, completely clueless when you start. Yeah. But it does feel like a bit of a hill to climb to me. Well, and, and I'm wondering if maybe some of that fiction might include a, a, a Hanavar universe short story, maybe. I, I, you never know. You never know, right? Yeah. No, that's cool. <laughs> well, and and the the other part of that, too, is, you know, when Starlog was, was 
up and running back in the day, they would do a lot of features with authors and, and, and TV writers and movie writers and production designers and directors and producers and stuff. And they go behind the scenes on these different things. And nowadays, when you're talking about something like, well, with Fangoria coming back, they're quarterly now. And that complicates things because you can't always do the timely news. You got to do stuff that's more evergreen. And, right. you know, your essays and your think pieces can be stuff that would can go pretty much any time, which it has me leaning toward, you know, a third to a half of the book probably needs to be fiction in order to just be something that you could pick up and you could read any time. And, of course, you got to have the word fine and the crossword puzzle in there. So, um, <laughs> well, I think I think. You're going to have to look at like cross-platforming if you're going to have it succeed. Yeah. You're going to have to have like a, a, an internet component of it that is more timely and has uh, video interviews and such things because that's where so many people are going anymore is is just immediate, uh, this is happening now, I need to see what's happening now, not waiting, like you said, quarterly. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I think you almost have to have two staffs or a very busy staff that spends part of their time online and part of their time with the print stuff. If I had an actual physical hat for every hat that I wear here, <laughs> it would be, no, a, I get, it would be a full room. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so, uh, so magician skull is quarterly or monthly. Is it this... started out as, um, started out as a uh, twice yearly and uh, we were planning to go quarterly. And then this little thing called COVID hit. Oh yeah. And, Man, that messed with everything. It messed with our uh, even our ability to get paper stock, uh, not to mention uh, get to the printer on time. And so um, we still don't have access um, to the beautiful paper quality we had during the first few issues. But uh, I think this year we will finally be quarterly. Um, we'll see. I think yeah. things finally evened out at the beginning of the year that we ought to have four official issues out this year. Yeah. Now, Death Angel Shadow is suggesting that we should partner with Goodman Games to publish our our magazine. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure that I'm on that level yet. I mean, these are these are nice these are nice books. I mean, this is this is some really heavy you know heavy paper stock and some really cool cover art and and. Well, thank you. That is uh, one of the last pieces that Ken Kelly uh, ever painted. Actually, yep. you got that. Um, yeah, got, we're uh, proud of those covers. Wizards and dragons in this one and stuff. And this That's is San some... Julian. Speaking of old horror magazines like Fangoria. See, um, and, I'm, and I'm looking at this stuff and I'm thinking, this is the kind of artwork that you would find on the D and D books back in the day. Oh yeah, you know, and then you know, the Dungeon Master's Guide and the and the Fiend Folio and all of that. I was like, this is this is good stuff. Yeah, we're uh, we're pretty proud of all that. We love the way it looks. We love the way it feels, and that's why we were sad to get rid of that awesome original paper quality. And uh, I'm very proud of the stories that we've been featuring. I really think we have the cream of the crop. Almost all of the best new modern sword destroyer writers are in there. There's a few I haven't gotten yet, but uh, I, I'm very pleased. Have you talked to Jim Zub about getting anything in there yet? Yeah, I have. That was one of our first conversations. I've only known him for about three or four years, but uh, yeah. I would love to get something in there, but I don't know if you've noticed he's very busy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure he is. Well, let me ask you this, because as as I get older, I I find myself gravitating a little bit more back toward the Conan type of stories, the the sword and sandal stuff. And and because growing up, I've always been a hard sci-fi guy. You know, Star Trek, Buck Rogers, Battlestar Galactica, Doctor Who. You know, I'm I'm science fiction. 
Okay. And, you know, uh, the superhero things, you know, Superman, Batman, Justice League, Captain America. I wasn't too much of a Marvel guy. I was more of a DC guy. But as I grow older, uh, um, David's books with Honor Harrington, that's a, that's a have-to priority for me. It's like, oh, new book? I've got it. And as I get older, it, with everything that's been going on, and now that we're in the after times, one of the things that I've, that I've talked about with my wife is the fact that we need to have physical copies of the old stuff, the ancient texts, as it were. Robert E. Howard, Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, you know, that group, Asimov and Bradbury and Heinlein. So I've started, I've started building, rebuilding that library where I have not just classic science fiction literature and fantasy literature, but also just regular literature, you know, Three Musketeers and Count of Monte Cristo and stuff. Because you look at what they're doing online with this stuff, re-editing things like Roald Dahl and Agatha Christie, and I'm thinking, this is 1980, we're living in 1984, where they're censoring this stuff and they're re-editing you know, James Bond for the modern sensibility, like we were talking about before. And as I'm doing this, I'm reading more sword and sandal fantasy stuff than I had in the past. I'm thinking, oh, this is this is a whole category of story that I've missed out on. And I'm playing catch up. So this comes, you know, you talk about timing. This all comes at a very, you know, uh, uh, nice, nice serendipitous moment for me because this is the kind of stuff that I'm leaning toward reading now because... The science fiction stuff, Star Trek and Star Wars and what up, has been for me. We were talking about this in the in the uh, the first hour with the stuff that's been going on with Star Wars with Gina Carano. They're destroying all of these things that we've been fans of all of this time. You know, the, whatever the new stuff is is not as good as the old stuff. And you know, you take the politics out of it, you just talk about the craft of it. It's oh sure, the storytelling. The, story the storytelling's not good. Yeah. yeah, they they didn't seem to understand, and that's what happened. So I remain a big fan of the original Trek, and it, it, I'm not saying that it's flawless, especially that the, the third season. Yeah, but um, I, I really did not care for what happened with the rebooted movies, and I know those movies have their fans, and it's not that they're completely without value, but. Um, I, it never felt to me like the people who got put in charge of it understood why the original one worked. Yeah. And, and that they did an even worse job trying to reboot star Wars. I mean, uh, their arcs for, I mean, even Mark Hamill himself uh, didn't think that that's what his character has been doing all this time. It, it didn't feel, it didn't feel right. The people that were given this, this cultural treasure yeah. <laughs> didn't have any right being put in charge of it to tell a story. Yeah. Well, that's, and you talk about, you talk about your five books being meticulously planned. You guys are being very thorough. You're, 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 you're mapping all of this out. And we learned after the third movie, you know, after rise of Skywalker comes out, there was no plan. They just kind of went willy nilly into this thing. And it was like, um, okay, that explains a lot. But this this idea that you have to be able to tell a particular type of story, you have to know what kind of story you're telling. And like you say, the story should come first as opposed to everything else that you're trying to get. You know, we're not trying to sell toys. We're not trying to do the tie-in media. We're not trying to do this, that, the other. We're trying to tell a good story. 
and a lot of the news I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about the Doctor Who specials that are coming out because Russell T Davies is back and and you know they've got David Tennant for the specials and then they got the new the new Doctor with Chutigadwa. I'm thinking maybe there's a little optimism there, a little light at the end of the tunnel, and and they've got this new thing, uh, Doctor Who. There's some, I don't know what this special, these specials are going to be with the BBC, but they're bringing back previous Doctor actors, Peter, you know, Peter Davison and and Sylvester McCoy, and and various different companions about that stuff. And I'm thinking, what is this? You know, they've never really been. Uh, hard-pressed to appeal to the classic Who fans before. Something has changed over there. And, you know, you've got the president of Paramount TV a couple of weeks ago saying, we need to be making more populist programs, stuff that's not just for Los Angeles and New York. And, you know, David Zaslav coming in when he got put in charge of Warner Brothers saying, we need to be basically looking at how do we make money off of this? You know, he's treating it like a business instead of, you know, this is this is our manifesto. It feels like culturally we're kind of swinging back towards center a little bit. But there are opportunities now because of all of the devastation that has been wrought by Hollywood and the entertainment media. There's this, there's this opportunity for new storytellers, new, well, newfound storytellers, let's say, because you've been doing this for a while, but I've just found you because you started at Bane and you've got this new series, and now I'm I'm probably going to go back and look at some of your other stuff because I'm finding new authors. And I've been hesitant to do that because, you know, all of the kerfuffle with the Hugo Awards and everything else, I'm like, I just don't want to have anything to do with it. But, oh, here's a story, and I enjoy this story, and it's not preaching at me, and I'm going to read more of this story. And I think maybe, hopefully, there are other people that are doing that same kind of thing. So I, I, I congratulate you for telling a story and not, and not preaching at me. So thank, <laughs> thank you for all of that to say that. So. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. So what's now? You're, you're, uh, you've done, you're finishing up book three. And then, uh, and then I'm going to, I've been working on it, like I said, and I'm not really exaggerating, pretty much night and day. And weekends. I mean, I do, I do take breaks and I do have a family and I do have animals to take care of, but, um, every weekend, uh, for most weekends, uh, I'm going to take probably a week off and do something different. And then I got to start right into work on book four. And I think I owe, I think I owe someone, a um, a standalone Hanavar short story, uh, at some point here. I think, I think I have to write it before Christmas. Fortunately, I have a whole bunch of uh, thumbnails that I've been collecting, you know, other ideas. So I'll, I'll probably snag one of those and turn it into something. But yeah, uh, I mean, I'm basically uh, the Hanavar production factory at this point. <laughs> right. how, how much, how much do you rely on beta readers or, or early readers for, for some of your first and second, third drafts? Is that, is, I that, have, is that an important part of the process? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I, uh, my wife uh, is is probably my most important beta reader, and uh, I had sent her, I had shown her a couple of uh, chapters. I sent them via email. I mean, I live with her, so it's not like I have to send them far. Yeah. But uh, uh, she she spotted some really dumb gaffes in one that I was quite proud of, and I felt like I'd stepped on a rake <laughs> because I mean it was so obvious once she pointed it out. Oh. Yeah. 
And it, it required completely gutting the middle of a story and coming up with a whole new middle section. Oh, but man. Yeah. Have, beta readers are important, have at you, least for this writer. Have you, have you had to kill very many of your babies? I mean, has there been a lot of, uh, oh, I, I really love this, but it doesn't work. I've got to get rid of it. But you kind of set it off to the side. Maybe you use it later. You know, there was, um, there was one story that I'd written for book three. Keep in mind, uh, as we were saying earlier, it's, it's like a season. So each episode stands alone, but mm-hmm. bills. And there was one episode that uh, she didn't really care for. And I think that it's still a good story, but I went ahead and cut it from the volume because I think it works in a different context and I needed to highlight another character. So, um, yeah, I guess that's as close as I've come to killing a darling. Um, but most of the time, no, at, at this point in my writing career, uh, the story comes first. And if a darling's been killed, it's because I see that, oh, yeah, uh, that's absolutely right. I need to do that to make the story better. So, Is there anything in the stories that you've written so far that leaves something that you still need to – let me me back up and try that again. (laughs) Is there a particular type of story that you haven't told yet that you really want to? Whether it's fan- oh, abs- fantasy or science fiction, is there is there one back here in the back of your head that's been percolating for all this time, and I really want to tell the story, but you're not there yet? Hmm. Well, there's a couple of moments that I haven't gotten to yet that are going to unfold in later books, and I'm really looking forward to writing. But I, I got to tell you, and this you probably hear this from writers all the time, but this is this is sincere. I am writing when I am most excited about writing. I feel incredibly excited about what I'm doing. I feel like I'm finally as capable as I wanted to be when I first became a professional writer. (laughs) Um, I'm not saying I don't have more room to grow or that there's not room for improvement. I'm constantly trying to get better, but I feel like I'm in control of what I'm doing. And I've been given this contract to write about this character I love. Um, And in the format that I didn't think anyone would really want when my agent and I started shopping this around, no one's really doing this these days where you have a season of episodes. Everyone wants big fat fantasies and they want them to be start out slow and have a detailed magic system and, and have a young person slowly growing into their power or, or just have it like all grim dark. And while there's some grim, while there's some grim stuff in mine, there's heroism. Uh, Anyway. So, Lo and behold, I'm actually getting to do what I most wanted to do. So, I mean, I'm super excited to be doing what I'm doing. I feel incredibly fortunate. Now, is a lot of that also Tony Weisskopf saying, go write your book? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that they don't do very much in the way of editorial interference. We hear those horror stories sometimes where, oh, you need to change this and change that and change this and turn this character this this way and that is 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 tony letting you kind of just do your own thing absolutely absolutely i mean uh uh, when it came to book one i think it was just a typo hunt when it came to book two typo hunt uh they just she has been such a strong advocate for hanavar uh i can't ever thank her enough she really believes in the character and the stories in the books she said some incredibly kind things about him and so yeah i 
they're letting me, she's letting me do what I most want to do. So it's awesome. That's great. That, well, and I'm, I'm looking forward to book, t- book three. I, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm about halfway through book two. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I, it's funny too, because I, when I'm, when I'm reading these books, I can picture particular actors in certain, as certain characters, the, the, Hanavar to me, I'm a lot of times I'm seeing Gerard Butler, and I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but also, um, Clive Owen also comes to mind sometimes when I'm when I'm reading this. But I'm like, I don't know why those particular and Gerard Butler maybe because of Three Hundred, but it's just you know it's that particular that that physical type. Who's not you know you're not the you're not the Henry Cavill type but you know bodybuilder type physique, you know I don't see that when I'm when I'm seeing this when I'm seeing Hanovar because, you know I'm I'm seeing you know uh, the soldiers build, they're not overly muscular, and and Clive Owen and Gerard Butler they have that physicality, but they've also they're also kind of packed in into a into a smaller less you know, physically cumbersome package. Are you, are you, have you, you talk about the anime that you would like to do at some point. Do you think about particular people when you, when you come up with these characters, are you modeling anybody off of anyone that you know in real life? I don't want to get you into trouble, but. (laughs) No, no. You know, and it's interesting. I, I frequently find, when I talk to other writers and I hear other writers talking on interviews, they frequently talk about their dream casting. And it's weird. I, I guess I don't ever do that. Yeah. Um, I, my son drew this picture of, uh, of Hanavar. It's on my website on the Hanavar page in sort of the Batman, the animated series style. And I love that picture. And so that's kind of what I think of him uh, looking like. Um, and when it comes to describing some of the other characters, I based um, like the description of Cyprian, um, I based the description of his physical features off of a description of, of a bust, the only known surviving bust that's probably of Scipio Africanus. And unfortunately, it's got a, yeah, there you go. That's how I picture Hanover looking, although his, his arm ought to be a little bit more muscular. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. And I think your, your conception of him is correct. He's not, he's not like a, um, the way we usually see Conan depicted, where he's this huge guy who's always going to stand out wherever he goes. He's he's muscular and he's fit, especially for an older guy. Um, but he's he needs to blend in yeah. because he has to be undercover. And so I designed a character who doesn't look uh, so phenomenally uh, huge and, and gargantuan that there's no way he's ever going to get uh, overlooked. Is Howard Andrew Jones a character in this story anywhere? Did you did you put yourself in someplace? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> I have not. I, I made a cameo in one of my St. Martin's uh, uh, books as, yeah. as a minor villain. I described him looking exactly like me. Of course, it doesn't look like me now because he had more hair and it was a reddish brown color. Yeah. But, uh, no, that, I haven't. I don't intend to put myself in Hanover. See, that seems to be a thing uh, that's that's been going around lately, especially over in the comics. And the 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 writer self inserts and I'm like, why 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 would you do that? I, you know, <laughs> I just. And and again, this comes back to the craft of storytelling: is you have these people who are uh, focused on the wrong priority. 
You know, they they want they want their own uh, notoriety as opposed to serving the story, serving the characters of the story. And I think it's one of the reasons why DC and Marvel are in such a state that they're in is, you know, people lose sight of the importance of the story writing, the storytelling craft. And, uh, you know, just just from reading these, I know I know you've got your your focus in the right place. I've been very impressed with you. So. Oh, well, thank you. Not that it means much coming from me, but you know, it's you know, I, but you're you're out there, you know, trying to find, you know, there's always new people to find your stuff, and uh, and I think as long as as authors are telling stories like you're doing, you focus on the story, you you focus on the tale being told, not telling you what you think about the tale being told. I think there's a lot of success to be had there. Of course, you've had a, a, a longer career uh, doing that than just these two books. But I wish you much success for these. I think these are going to do really well. And and being oh, in band, band is a good place for this. It's a good home for you, I think. I've been very happy so far. So And thank you for the good wishes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the uh, the website, howardandrewjones.com. And you can also find Howard over on Twitter, Howard Andrew Jones. There's not enough, uh, not enough characters in the in your handle there, Howard. So, uh, yeah. We, so it's at Howard Andrew John because yeah. there wasn't es right. And I'm on Blue Sky, but I keep forgetting to to go uh, add things to it. You know, I'm really I not online very much because I think I mentioned I'm I have I have to write. You know, five book series. Well, and I, I don't think you're missing out too much on you know, missing social media. <laughs> so I, I really don't. I've got a couple of Facebook groups that I belong to, uh, and I, I pop on Facebook to, to visit them. There's like a cool old old books group and a cool uh, war games group. I, I like um, tactical uh, war games, you know, tabletops. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, Death Angel Shadows is the self-insert has been happening a lot in the tabletop RPG publications too. The new deck and book of many things is a prime example. Have you had any conversations about doing an RPG in the Hanavar universe? Does that conversation come up? Yes, and I'm not. I probably shouldn't say anything (laughs) yet, but yes, there may be something uh, coming down the pike on that. All right. Well, we will look forward to that. And uh, as as we get through, as I get through this second book, I'll get a, a review posted. We'll get that online, and I will send you the link. And, of course, we'll definitely have you back to talk further about the Chronicles of Hanavar as the, as the next book comes out. Howard Andrew Jones, thanks very much for being here, sir. Well, I really appreciate you having me. It's great uh, chatting with you. When we get back, we will open it up for open line, so uh, don't go anywhere. Stand by. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. That's a huge question and one that I would rather not answer, but I'm going to answer it. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. I was just kind of moving on this very idea, so it's funny you bring it up. It's a good question. That's a great question. I love this question. Yeah. That's a good question. Count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. It's a really good question. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009.
All right, here we go. This is the hour. This is where this is the hour where I give up a little bit of control. Welcome everybody. We are live from the bunker, the third hour going in. Open line. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at SciFiForMe.com. If you are not familiar, uh, I do invite you to go check that out. Uh, SciFiForMe.com. We have just posted reviews, the occasional news article. And my goal when it started was very much to be kind of a kind of a new sci-fi channel Starlog thing, and and it hasn't really gone that well. But you know, it is thing. Live chats open, comments. If you are with us uh, in replay, you can still leave your thoughts. Uh, and of course, you can connect with us on social media, the Discord, email address, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com if you want to join the the, the conversation. And let me get a couple of things here. I need to copy and paste. We're going to put the put the link in, and uh, I will I will uh, put my fate in your hands. So let me uh, do this and put that. The show pop and. There we go. Hopefully it populated everywhere else. Oh, okay, here we go. Oh, hey, Road Vagabond Live's been doing some comments over on Odyssey, and this uh, little widget didn't pick it up. I am sorry about that. Let's see. Road Vagabond Live says, Just let DC and Marvel die gracefully. Stop doing the weekend at Bernie's with their corpse. <laughs> Uh, it says, if they remade Conan the Barbarian today, it would probably be Karen the Barbarian. Uh, Knert uh, says, Odyssey may not be around much longer. Odyssey, um, I don't... Odyssey and library, as far as I can tell, are different-ish things. Library is done-ish, but the... The other, the other part of it. I mean, Odyssey is a is a separate thing. I think um, I need to get some clarification from that gang over there because I've been in conversations with them about some different things, trying to figure out exactly what's been going on with that. Let me try this again and see if this is going to work because I would like, uh, I would like to see the Odyssey stuff. There it is. There it is. There it is. Road Vagabond Life says if it's not on Odyssey, it didn't happen. It's it's we're everywhere. All right, let me uh, do this, do that, and bring Cam into the uh, call. Welcome, sir. How you doing? Good. Happy Halloween. Well, thank you, too. Uh, I am I am in my costume. I am I am dressed as a an award winning media producer. Oh, that's very accurate. And, and 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 I see you're you're in your costume as Professor Newtonium. There, good good to see that. All right, that's right. I'm uh, I'm always a scientist and inventor day. So, <laughs> so what's up? Um, I, I just a, a quick topic, and then I can uh, go make way for someone else or or hang out, whatever you like. But um, I I had ordered a a copy of it's not an omnibus, but it's it's a collection of uh, early Alpha Flight by John Byrne 
and a few others, uh, but mostly focusing on Burns' early run, uh, I think it was 1984 series uh, uh, of Alpha Flight, um, but also their appearances in X-Men and, and things, you know, leading up to that in, in years prior. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things that, you know, I never really read a lot of Alpha Flight. I had a, a little bit, and and for some reason I got a bug in my head that I wanted to, you know, catch up on some of these things. And uh, for, for any other comic fans out there who are, you know, tired of what's going on today, and if you haven't before, I strongly encourage you to go back and just pick some, some classic uh, – that you haven't read or maybe you haven't read in a while, you know, you sold your, your books or whatever, because it has been one of the most enjoyable uh, experiences in reading comics that I've had in years. It's, it's like a, I, I mean, it's like going back to your youth, you know, it really has been just a, a fun time, you know, and I'm kind of parceling it out a little bit, a little bit by a little bit, because I don't want to go through it too fast, but man, the, the, the storytelling back then was just something different than, than what they do today. Well, and and you you talk about burn. Uh, Mark Miller uh, got onto uh, got onto um, Twitter talking about this earlier, and talked about how his kids have discovered burn, and he's rediscovered burn, and and the stuff that uh, that he was doing back in the day still holds up. You. Know, you talk about the timeliness and the modern audience and that kind of thing. There's there's something about classic Silver Age and and right after that, the 80s and 90s uh, in comics that I don't think I don't want to say that it's lightning in a bottle. You're never going to capture that again. But when when comics became about the speculators, I think is when things started to go awry. And then comics yeah. became about the politics of the creators and the politics of the audience. And things went really sideways after that. I, I'm hopeful, because I read Jim Zub's Conan the Barbarian, for example, from Titan. It's not political. It's not woke in in the sense that everybody wants to throw that label around. It's Conan the Barbarian. And if we get more of that in all of these different things, Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, Battlestar Galactica, wherever, Buck Rogers, because there's a new Buck Rogers that's in development somewhere. If, if it stays true to the craft of the story, to the characters, to the history of the thing, the legacy of it, I think we'll be okay. And like I said, I think culturally, I think the entertainment m media, the, inter the the producers of the studios and whatnot, they're realizing we can't keep doing this and continue to lose money on this stuff. And yeah. I think that's why you've got, you know, you've got Ike Perlmutter and Nelson Peltz coming in saying, guess what, folks? Yeah. It, you, know? It, 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 you know, who knows how this is going to go, but you know, things are piling up uh, against that side. Uh, and I'd like to say reality is catching up to them is really what's going on. Yeah. But it might not take much for that dam to break, um, you know, pretty hard uh, any, any, at any time. You know, it's it's right on the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and death. Canard uh, uh, over on on Odyssey was talking about what's what's going on over there. Let me pop that up real quick, because. Some people are not familiar with. We're talking about alt tech, 
And this is another outgrowth of all of this that we've been talking about, where politics infecting the stuff what we grew up with. The tech platforms are the same way, you know, Facebook and 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 Twixer and 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 all the social media and, and the censorship algorithms and all this other stuff. It comes comes to the point where other people sit there go, well, we'll we're going to build another platform, and so you have library and you have. Odyssey, and you have Rumble and and Kick and and all these different things. Well, Library has been in the middle of a legal battle. That's one of the reasons why I think Rumble has taken off so much, and Odyssey kind of faltered. Library first was there, and then Odyssey came in after that. Uh, but now Library has lost their uh, uh, federal battle, and are they're going to be shutting down? They have debts to uh, the legal team, private debtor. All the assets, including Odyssey, are being placed into receivership. As of this post, all library executives, employees, and board members have resigned. Now, that's the library staff. I don't think that's the Odyssey staff. I think they're different. Uh, So the library network is decentralized. This is blockchain stuff. It's based off of that. So there's not one particular place where the library stuff it's not like amazon web services where it's you know amazon's got it this is all over the place uh it says uh the library network might die decentralization isn't magic it only works if enough people use it could library still swallow all digital publishing like we intended could this be the beginning of a descent into obscurity who knows uh the truth is even writing this post fills us with anxiety everything we say is being scrutinized by people with immense resources that aren't been big fans of us, free speech, or any technology that enables dissent. So this is kind of a cryptocurrency type of thing. But here's the note what's happening with Odyssey. Uh, the flagship library app continues to serve more than 6 million people each month, even while it's been iced. And iced basically means there are things that they want to do that they have not been able to do. I've been in conversation with people at Odyssey, and there are there are lists stuff that they sit there and say our hands are tied because of what's been going on with library with the parent company and the securities exchange commission there's things we want to do but we can't yet so i don't know if this decision frees them up to start doing that because they've had some outside uh they've had some outside investors buyers or or whatnot that have come in on this so I think Odyssey is still going to be around. Um, and they write here, while it's nearly certain the Odyssey assets will be assumed by someone interested in resuming its growth, it's unclear if Odyssey will continue to use the library network in the future, switch to another crypto network, or switch to being tra- traditional Web2 platform. So the, the hope, I guess, for that is <coughs> for Odyssey to continue... Wait a minute, where did, where did Death Angel Shadow go? He had just dialed in. Call back in there, Death. Uh, so maybe Odyssey sticks around. I'm hoping so because we've got more followers on it um, than we do on Rumble. So, you know, we'll see. I don't know. But this 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 is part of that whole outgrowth. Like what you're talking about is, is there needs to be less of the of the political folder role and more on just 
telling good stories and, and doing, doing good things with it. Yeah. Um, novel idea. And (laughs) this is, I'm not at all tuned into this, but the, uh, the Friday night at Freddy's, um, uh, thing that was, yeah. you know, quite quite a hit, as I understand it. They've, you know, wait, you know, made their money back many many times uh, here in in the first week already. And from everything I've heard about it, uh, Clownfish was reporting on it. Uh, is is it's basically just here? This is it. You know, I mean, it, no no messing around. It's just this is a movie adaptation of <laughs> of the thing. You know. I have and seen I've seen comments that it, for the most part it gets the lore correct. I'm not I'm I've never played the game. I haven't read any of the comics. I don't know anything about it other than you know, showbiz Chuck E. Cheese. But it's yeah. it's so far the things that I've been seeing about it have been fairly mostly positive. The fact that they made this movie on a $20 million budget and it made $80 million its first weekend. On the same weekend, it's hitting the streaming service because it's on Peacock as well. Right. And right. it still made $80 million. That says something. That says a lot of something about that. Yeah, and contrasted with you were just talking about the Flash, for example, where they're it's it, they're not spending two hundred million anymore. It's two hundred fifty, three hundred, three fifty, yeah. you know, for these things. And getting, you know, they're lucky if they're breaking even on a lot of these. And even if they do, their percentage of return it just doesn't make sense. You know, I, I think you've talked about this before about you know why are these people spending these gobs of money when they could be spending less and getting a far better rate of return. Um. You know, at some point, other people are just going to say, well, we're going to do this and we're going to make the money. And and then you're going to have some someone else sitting on stacks of cash. And then they're going to say, oh, well, maybe I need to buy something. You know, <laughs> what you got, I kind of like that. I'm going to buy that. I know it. I mean, it reminds me a little. I know. I was I've been, I've been for the past couple of years, but again I, I have surges of it. I've been looking into uh, you know the history of role playing and all that with D and D and and the whole story of how TSR grew and fell apart and then was consumed by Wizards of the Coast is the same kind of thing. It's like Wizards of the Coast was a was nothing. It was it was a, a company that never had success, and then boom, it hit and it was sitting on stacks of cash and it completely consumed the former giant, you know, yeah. and, and so I was watching some of this stuff recently. And I'm like, you know what? I would be completely satisfied with seeing that happen to some of these bad actor companies right now. Someone else comes out of the blue and, and it's like, well, your time's up. Well, and Maybe I we think need that kind of change. I think something like that's about to happen with the Walt Disney company. I think, you, that, right. you know, with Ike Perlmutter signing over the voting control of his shares to Nelson Peltz, that's the first, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Death Angel Shadow joins us as well. Welcome, sir. Uh, How you doing? The, the thing about that is there has to be the first one, right? Yeah, because the proxy war with Peltz, you know, Nelson Peltz has been out there, this shadow looming in the background, and if they if they really want to hold him off... They're going to have to either show a profit in this next earnings call, which they're not going to be able to do. They're going to have to sit there and say, we're going to pay a a dividend, and I don't think they're going to be able to do that either. They're getting ready to sell Hotstar in India to because they've got to have – they've got to pay for Hulu. And, you know, that deal is is still kind of percolating right there. And 
they're losing subscribers on Disney Plus. And it was supposed to be over, you know, October 31st or, or no, the end of September, because that's the end of the fiscal year is right. when they called that bill due. And so I don't know exactly what the status is on that Hulu deal at the moment. Uh, well, I thought, was that but, February? That, that well, was the D-Day? No, originally was it was going to be January 1st. And okay. then and then the Hulu, the Comcast people sat there and said, you know what, let's go the end of the fiscal year. And they, they moved it up to the end of September. And... Everybody was caught su- surprised by that and was like, "Wait, what?" Because this puts yeah. Disney in a in a worse position financially, and you know you have the failure of Indiana Jones Five, the failure of Galactic Star Cruiser, the failure of every Star Wars series that's come out. Andor did okay, but Andor could be a generic science fiction thing. You take the you take the Star Wars trappings off. You know, file the, file the serial number off of it, and it's any kind of generic sci-fi rebellion story. You know, it's like Zack yeah. Snyder making Rebel Moon, right? It's a Star Wars movie, but he's calling it something else. Well, and, and sorry, Disney just got a massive black eye, and it's not any—it's not news to you or me, uh, or any of us, but it right. is news to the normies out there. Yeah, and and now there's blood in the water potentially. Where these people are like, oh yeah, we're supposed to laugh at them now. You know, it's it, maybe we shouldn't be spending our money with them. And and I mean, I don't think you can un- understate the importance of, of what just happened. Well, well the, the, what, South, the South Park thing, yeah, yeah. the South yeah. Park thing. Well, and and it's like Tom was talking to Tom from Midnight's Edge. He was talking about it last night over on on Comics Divisions, and I think he mentioned it Sunday night too over on Culture Stream. Right. He, he had a friend of his look at it and say, "Who's Kathleen? Who's Kathleen Kennedy?" And it's oh, wow. another it's another one of these moments, and and we talked about this. The fact that we are so steeped in this, the fact that we understand all of this because we've been paying attention to it, we've been reading the trades, we've been reading the news articles, reading all the social media and stuff. We know what's been going on more than most John Q. Public out there, and you have these moments. Gina Carano getting fired was a moment. You know these fixed right. points in time where something happens that causes this shift in awareness. And people are like, Gina got Gina Carano got fired for what? She did what? Wait, why did she get fired they for that? Questions. And so you have they start that's exactly right. The general population starts to ask questions. And now this South Park thing is another one. You know, the Indiana Jones thing, Indiana Jones might have given some opportunity for that, but this South Park episode does this in a way that now really laser focuses on Kathleen Kennedy and what she's done with Lucasfilm because Lucasfilm is Star Wars, is Indiana Jones, is Willow, and right. all of that failed. And, the, and there's a large network of us that are out there that have, have been steeped in that people know us as a, hey, you're into this stuff. What's the deal with this? Yes. And we can go, oh, here, let me give you some YouTube links to go check out what was going on. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I really want to see that list of directors who got told to start unfollowing and shaming online people, too. Because Is that, we, all, we, that. we all knew that she had been told. And she's confirmed that with the stuff that she posted this weekend. She said they're going, you know, I get told not only to unfollow them, and we knew that, but also to shame them. That's new. That's communist China type stuff. And 
now you have other things that we know is out there. And, you know, we have rumors, and Tom Tom and Andre over at Midnight's Edge, so they, they've got people telling them, and Chris Gore, I think, has talked about it. Apparently, and and I don't have any, any information on this one way or the other, so I'm reporting this second and third hand. But apparently, uh, Kathleen Kennedy did not have a very good weekend this weekend. This South Park thing, apparently she blew a gasket because Midn- Midnight's Edge reported on it. Cameron Pasha has got a, got a phone call from Sparrow saying that she wow. just blew up. So you've got independent reporting from people who are not on the best terms with each other, let's say. Right. And they're all saying the same thing. Kathy Kennedy blew up this weekend. And inside the office, probably at home, has not been a very good place to be after this South Park episode drops. And I agree with Tom. I think that this is part one, maybe of two, maybe of three, because they went a little la- I haven't watched it yet. I still plan to. But according to what I've heard description-wise, they went a little light in roasting Iger. They focused a lot on Kathleen Kennedy this time, which kind of tells me uh, part two. Giving him a- they, could do, <laughs> they could go after Kevin yeah. Feige next. And then part three could be Bob Iger. They could they, they could be going for a trifecta here. They could, and I watched it. Yeah, I watched it, and I was, I was like, oh my god, they they nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> well, know? one thing that's strange about it, you know, I, I don't I don't mind seeing that happen, but uh, South Park has has a, a history of they're like, like on top of something like very fast, especially yeah. for animation. They're able to turn it around like in a week and yeah. they're years late on this. So <laughs> I, I'm sure there's a lot of people going, Hey, I've been saying this for, <laughs> you know, for two, three, four years. Right. Yeah. And now these guys come and steal my thunder, but I'm glad well, to see it anyway. Well, and with Gina's posts on, on, on Twitter this weekend, you have a lot of people in the YouTube space and I'm already starting to see it. The, the, we were right videos are going to start mm. dropping because the stuff that she's yeah. been posting has tracked with some of the stuff that we've heard rumors about for a long time. But now you get some sort of kind of confirmation that this kind of activity, this kind of behavior was really going on in the background. You've got Doomcock has been reporting on it for a long time. Cameron's got his yeah. his sources inside with Sparrow saying this is going on. You know, Geeks about the Geeks and Gamers Nerdrotic. has got the stuff, you know, Drunk 3PO's got stuff, Nerdrotic yep. has it. All of all of these people, no matter who your sources are, and by the way, it would be nice for us to have direct sources. I'm just going to put that out there in the universe. But no matter and who him. the sources are, no matter who's reporting on it, everything's starting to line up. Everybody's reporting the same thing. And well, if it comes out from another major, you know, actor... If, it, if there's other confirmations of this yeah. that starts coming out, it, it's gonna. Uh... Well, you know, it would, be, it, it would be interesting if someone got fed up to the point, like let's say Scarlett Johansson, who got jerked around by uh, by Disney, and right. I think they, you know, they ended up paying up. But it, imagine if if someone like that, you know, someone who's considered a you know a top star, Grab would come top. out and be, yeah, exactly, and and would you know drop it on them, man. That that's 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 that would be a yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't expect that, but it, it would be something to see. And, and you, chat, you know, the, well, hang on, in the chat, Kronos Kronos Godwisen says her professional knicker untwister was working overtime. <laughs> I like that's that's an interesting <laughs> mental picture there. I don't know that I wanted to have that in my head, but sorry, sorry, sorry. Mm, that would be a horrible job. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, you know, and 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 of course, Disney's well, like, Disney's big thing is well, we've got the we still got the parks. But the parks yeah. aren't doing too hot either, from what I've heard. Well, and, um, and you know that's a whole when, different sphere, you know. And, when Universal goes national with their various different things, because they're they're putting a park in Dallas, they're right. looking at the possibility of a park in Europe somewhere. The 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 speculation is it's going to be in Paris or close to Paris. Um, well, they have what, then, the Halloween Horror Nights place now in Vegas. Yeah, and that's a that's now a full time thing, and it's been expanded, right. and you've got um, yeah the the some of the Marvel stuff is at Universal Hollywood in Florida instead of at Disney. Now, there there's uh, Jay was talking about this. Galactic Star Cruiser could be re reskinned as an Agents of Shield attraction, but you they can only those. use specific characters yeah, they because can only use of that things. agreement. And and you know Universal has got the big, whereas uh, the the Nintendo World, when that opens up, that's going to be. I mean, oh man, Dis- Disney's dead. And Jay, Jay even pointed out too. The other thing is you've got the the new rail line, the new train. I was uh, I was just getting ready to say, do airport. you follow uh, Andrew from Legal Mindset? He, yeah. You know, I I I know exactly where that. I lived there. I know exactly where that route is. I know where the property is. They used to be the old uh, Lockheed Martin or Martin Marietta back in the day. Yeah, Disney. property. Disney's uh, it's huge property, and it's if they're running the rail line right there. I mean. Ooh. And they got a district, their own. They, they got their own. They got it. Yeah, they district. got a develop a business development district. So yeah, it mm-hmm. Disney is Disney's gonna hurt. Disney's gonna hurt for a long while, and as long as Bob Iger is in charge, and as long as the 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 current board of directors is in charge, mm-hmm. and and set aside the DEI stuff for a second because that's a that's a different thing. But you've got people in charge of the company making business decisions that are financially harmful to the business. That entire board of directors should have been gone a year and a half ago. Yeah. This is well into the territory of, of malfeasance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that could be what, who's going to prosecute that could be what Nelson Peltz is setting up for, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, vote of vote of no confidence. Let's completely get rid of the entire board of directors. And then you get Nelson Peltz back on the board. You get Ike Perlmutter back on the board, which, you know, Ike Perlmutter is evil because he supported Trump. And who else do you put on the board? Do you bring Susan Arnold back? Do you put Bob Chapek back in there in some capacity? Or do you start completely from scratch? Do you put... John Favreau in there somehow? Does Favreau become president of Lucasfilm? Because would he want to do that? Well, according to the reports, now this is Sparrow calling in and reporting to Cameron. There's, you know, you had the the five horsemen of the apocalypse that came in and they cleaned house, but according to those rumors, Favreau is in charge of a transition team 
to bring Lucasfilm into a new order, as it were. Kathleen Kennedy is now just figurehead. But right. if you know, it it feels like recently it's been all Dave Filoni. So how much is John Favreau still involved? That's that's a very good question that I I have not seen anybody really address yet. No. And from Gina's posts, where they're talking about, you know, you stayed with weak leadership instead of getting somebody in there who knew what was going on, it kind of sounds like to me that maybe Favreau's decided, done, out. You know, you guys have interfered with too much that I wanted to do to fix all of this. Y- you made your bed, go lie in it. I'm, I'm going to go do something else. And and the big thing is, is you know, a lot of... we. We haven't been asking, oh, you need to go the other direction. You know, we, we haven't been saying, oh, you need to move MAGA or anything like that. Right. We're saying, oh, just go mainstream, go middle of the road. You know, what you what what Disney was built on, and uh, you know, entertainment, and just, entertainment. Just, yeah, well, entertainment, yeah, novel idea. Tell us a good story. You know, <clears throat> let me disconnect, and if you have some sort of, you know, kind of like classic trek you know if you if you sprinkle in some 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 make things to make you go hmm about that's fine yeah make you make people think but let but don't sit there and just force a a particular one perspective agenda down everybody's throats and well it's like howard it's like howard jones was talking about in the last hour he was talking about the doomsday machine uh, episode of star trek and the subtext of that is do we really want to build a weapon that can that can destroy everything? I mean, sure, you could do you could do the analogy of atomic weapons and you know the 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 arms race and the Cold War and all of that, but it's subtext. You don't have to see it if you don't choose to see it. Whereas modern Trek, everything is let that be your last battlefield. You know, in terms yeah. of in your face with the message. Let that be your last battlefield does have a good message to say about race, but it does it in such a clunky, terrible, ham-fisted way. It's one of the worst episodes of the original series. Yes, it's got a good message, but it beats you in the face with it, and it's not a very good. It's not. It it has not aged well. It's not a very good episode. I'd say it's aged well less than Spock's brain has. <laughs> I mean, Spock's brain is still okay. It's still a ridiculous episode, but it's always been in a ridiculous episode. But it stays at that same level of ridiculousness. Whereas you go, let yeah. that be your last, last battlefield. It gets even more. Uh, uh, worthy of parody as as it ages it has not it has not done well for me at least so i don't know yeah i don't know that's i think the, i think the threads are unraveling i think they and, are uh, i think they are well when you know the 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 degenerate and i don't mean that in a in and in in that i'm declaring a moral position i mean something that's falling apart uh uh, everything is politics crowd is is when you you adopt that mindset y- you lose the ability for a story to really have meaning because a, a story is there for people to take meaning away from it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. to, to say oh that may like like uh, death angel shadow was saying you know that, oh that made me think about something you know rather than 
you're supposed to think this, you know, yeah. it's right. Uh, the, the, these, you know, postmodernism has, has really lost the ability to tell stories. Uh, and, and I mean, it's, it's, it's causing real problems. Storytelling is a fundamental human part of the human experience. And we have more than one generation that I, I think honestly doesn't understand storytelling anymore. I mean, they, they just don't get it. Um, it be, be, because of this, everything is politics kind of thing. It's like, no, no, it isn't. A, a social issue is not necessarily a political issue. It might run into politics, but they're two separate things. And that's the point. And that's the point that William Shatner had made on Twitter a while back because, you know, Star Trek's always been political. Well, no, it hasn't. And the right. social issues that were addressed in the original show racism sexism uh you know warfare you know, that you know proxy wars and all that all of that was social engagement social issues rather than political party type stuff you know it wasn't right. republican versus democrat it was don't treat black people badly type of thing it was it was not a it was not a thing where we're going to take a particular position that's done along party lines it was don't be a bad human and well yeah you you don't get a lot of that now the 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 stuff that's now is driven by marxist political theory where the class warfare of marx and engels has been replaced by race and and gender and and sexual orientation and the othering that happens now is driven by us, but it's still it's still socialism, Marxism, but it's cultural now as opposed to financial, economic, and all of these people that are steeped in this, they're seeing everything in that in that lens, that filter, and you know everything is politics, but everything is politics in a certain particular way. I think. Yeah, but you, you know what? I think you're right. In in the past, it was like, oh, yeah there is something that we want to accomplish maybe, or we, a message we want to send, whatever today there. I don't think the message even matters today. It's just, this is the latest thing to exploit. So if it's race or gender or any of those things, it's all of those things are just pawns. Whereas in the past, I think people actually cared about issues like, you know, racism and so on and so forth today. I think it's just pure, um, uh, cynical, uh, manipulation. Um, and, and, but I mean, there are people that say, Oh no, I care about these things, but they're just being led around by the nose. Yeah. It's, right. it's, it's very mechanical and, and very dishonest. And I don't think a lot of people can sense the difference. I think you're right. I, I, and, and some of that is the kind of engagement that we have on social media and the kind of things that get promoted over others. And our education system being as corrupted as it is, uh, you know, we've got to get rid of the Department of Education. I mean, we just have to. That's that's been one of the worst things to happen to our kids. You know, the the lockdowns didn't help. There's all this emphasis on feel good, namby pamby. If you think two plus two is five, then go go for it, Junior. And we've got to get away from all of that. I did see an interesting thing where they were talking about if if anything, and I forget. Yeah, I'm sure it was probably on one of the legal shows, but they they said where you know 
if anything, the lockdowns actually backfired on them um, and kind of woke people up to, oh, hey, yeah. what this is what's really going on in, in the education. Parents actually saw it because they were stuck home with their kids. Yeah. And Wait, you they want, saw. You want to teach my kids what? Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's, and I, and I think in the same vein, I think this uh, South Park episode might kind of be a similar type of thing for, you know, what's been going on in sci-fi fantasy um, tabletop, maybe even, you know, a, a lot of it, like I said, I, I pointed out the, you know, Watsi has a new book of, book of many things slash deck of many things set, and the set... <laughs> This sets like $109 for the Ouch. book and cards. And then the cards had defects. <laughs> Those the samples that were sent out to some of the some of the YouTubers, I guess, that, that got them that were, you know, on the good side of Watsy. No. Um and they're like not even cut the same and <laughs> it's just different cards in the same set. Some are bowed one way, some are bowed the other way. You know. <clears throat> um you know, I'm sure they'll fix those issues, but but you know, the deck of many things has been around. It was introduced, I think, by Gygax back in the seventies. It's not like a new thing, and now they they put a whole new backstory on it. Um, let some, you know, author <laughs> that's got no experience or no no real experience in the uh, in the industry. They're relatively new, maybe five years in. Um, Self insert and. No, you know, they're totally just breaking canon. That reminds me, did you guys see who's writing the prequel comic for Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon? No. Oh, uh, it's uh, Mags Visaggio. Yeah. Why that's happening, I cannot fathom. It, it's a whole world that has nothing to do with talent. I, I'm like, why in the world? Out of everybody that you could get, talent or no talent, you know, set that question aside. But why in the world you would get Mags Visaggio, of all people, to write a Zack... I mean, consider what kind of movies Zack Snyder has been making. Consider what kind of criticism he's gotten for the whole male gaze stuff that he did from from what's the what's the sucker punch, you know? I mean, and and you get Mags Visaggio to write the the prequel comic for Rebel Moon makes absolutely no sense to me at all, and nobody's going to buy it. No, I, I'm wondering if you know if there how many love down that is you know that, that it's just like oh no we're gonna just pop this person in here you know yeah um and uh, people uh, comic who cares you know i mean they're 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 not even thinking about it but you know somebody's doing someone a favor and um yeah. oh yeah i could definitely <laughs> see who <clears throat> this person but is, uh... but it's coming from titan comics and it's which is surprising to me because Titan Comics are the ones who are doing the Conan the Barbarian book. And it's a good book. I I really do think I I have I have been surprised at how enthusiastically I have embraced some of these sword and sandal stories from late. Cuz that's not been my bag. 
and I've I've been reading the Conan comic book from Jim Zub and and Roberto Della Torre. I've I've been reading these Hanavar books from from Howard Andrew Jones, and I'm really digging it. And I'm like, this is not normally what I would read, but yeah. Titan uh, is the publisher for the for the Conan books, and they're putting out a prequel comic for for Rebel Moon. It's going to be called Re- um, Rebel Moon Part One: A Child of Fire. Uh, no, that's the that's the movie. That's the first movie. Um, the comic book Rebel Moon: House of the Blood Axe is coming January twenty twenty four, based on a story by Zack Snyder and written by Eisner nominated Mags Visaggio, with art by Clark Bent. I mean, that's that that's a creative team that does not sell that book. Democratic Socialists of America. Democratic Socialists. Huh. Okay. What's Democratic the, Socialists? What about <clears throat> what about it? Uh, Mag- Magdalene Visazio. Oh yeah. She's a member of the Democratic Socialists. <laughs> <laughs> Those usually don't do very well. At least not in the South American and and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Asian regions. <laughs> But uh, is it uh, is it North Korea, the Democratic Socialist Republic? I, ju- of North I just Korea? don't understand why you would hire Mags for any of this. I, I really don't. This just makes no sense to me whatsoever. The, well, not, and and it, and for and for Zack Snyder to sit there and say, "Oh, I'm really excited to collaborate with Mags," and why? Well, right, no, no talent, record of failure, uh, despite the Eisner nomination, and. And, well, and and the Eisner nomination—the Eisner nomination—is just the same as as a Hugo thing anymore. Yeah, you know, half the time it's yeah. it's not based on talent. But I mean, look look at the stuff with the uh, um, Sean Gordon Murphy, you know, and and this yeah. clown uh, Mags. It's like, why would anyone take the risk? It's like, why would you expose yourself to this sociopath? Sue me. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, the the other thing, Sean Gordon Murphy. Speaking of him, he did a he did a podcast here what this past weekend, talking about some stuff. And some people are sitting there going, "Why would you say that, Sean?" And I don't know exactly what it was that he said. I caught I caught a couple of clips, and I have to go back and look and see just just what the discussion has been. But some of the people that have been in his camp, uh, apparently, I. I may be talking out of turn. Let's 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 be clear here. I'm not I'm not completely focused on what has happened there, but there are some people that are kind of looking sideways at what he said at this podcast. And I don't know if it was I don't know if he was talking to Perch or if he was on somebody else's show. Um, but yeah, I was like, hang on, hold. What? Why are you saying that now? Um, talking about you know past encounters and 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 stuff. So. I don't know. It it just it just feels like something something is driving this other than sales. Hmm. At least for me. Yeah. I mean, I would I, I, don't I wouldn't pick up anything written by Mags Asadio. It doesn't look impressive. Um, no. And the, and the cover the cover art is not even you know, let me pull this up here. It, it the the cover art is not even all that impressive. Because, okay, what what's compelling about this book? 
this like this cover this cover doesn't tell me anything and it doesn't give me any any incentive to pick up this book it's people standing there looking angry it's like you said yeah okay and this says house of the blood axe i don't see a blood axe show me the blood axe that's what i want right. to see show me the blood axe in action that's the cover that you need to have on this book it's one more shell former. Got, got to stand there, arms crossed, always, always. That's that's the that's the position now, right? Isn't that yeah. the official position? Now this takes stand place. There. This takes place five years before the movie, in the timeline. So I'm assuming that's Sophia Batella's character uh, on the cover. But this is not. This is not a. That's not a sellable cover. I mean, here's another one. Here's another one that's that's just as dull. This didn't tell me any. Okay, what's happening here? Why should I care about this book? <laughs> You're just gonna stand there. I'm gonna hit you. What? What is this? This is just Go, nuts. Going back to my original point, you can get excellent entertainment for very affordable prices. Uh, for, you know, from the '70s and '80s, They'll, you know, go to your local comic store, and I'm sure they'll be happy to sell you trade paperbacks for oh, yeah. for discounted prices. You, well, you, you the... see, uh, Kronos in the chat asked if that was Ahsoka. Yeah, <laughs> <On> that first <laughs> cover. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm and... sure they just painted over it. You know, and here's the same company. This is Titan, and this is this is one of the covers for for Conan the Barbarian from Jim's Up. And this, mm-hmm. yeah, he's standing there. But he's got a look on his face, and he's got weapons in his hand. I mean, this is this is actually him. Now look at this one. This is yeah, that's, stuff that's going that's on. That's engaging. That, there's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. There's this one. Okay. This is standing around, but holding a sword. There's fire in the background. There, this is there's something happening here. You've got this one that's a throwback to the old Marvel books. Mm. And still, lots of things happening. Lots of action. Mm. Here's another one. Here's here's Mike Mignola variant cover. That's an action scene. So right one, there, you get an action scene. Two, you get Mike Mignola. And here's one. This is also action. Like, why isn't Titan doing this on the Rebel Moon books? It feels right. like this is okay. When in 2007. Sci-Fi Channel ran a contest, the 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 exposure contest, and it was a short film competition. It was the second time they'd done it, and we entered a film, and we were a final. I was, I had, I had my film, Species Felis Dominaris, was a finalist. We were among nine short films that were picked in this thing, and my short film ran on the Sci-Fi Channel. I was very excited about it until I found out it was going to be on at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> And I thought, aha, they're burning off a legal obligation. They are contractually obligated to do this thing, but they don't care about it, but they have to do it, so they're going to do it this way. And the prize was supposed to be a development deal with the network. And I don't think that the guy the guy who won, I don't think he ever got anything developed at the Sci-Fi Channel. This thing just kind of went mm-hmm. away afterwards. But, you know, I got bragging rights. I had something on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yay me. But this feels like the same kind of thing. This feels like Titan's got an obligation. They've got a deal that they've got to do this. And 
it, Mags is going to be on it. We just we're just we're we're just burning the contract. Maybe it went to the lowest bidder. Maybe. I don't know. I'm like I, it it just doesn't make any sense to me from a from a business and creative standpoint why you would have that team on that book. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I, maybe they're catering to a modern audience. <laughs> we we but, hear that all the time. I know, but but with Zack Snyder, the track record that Zack Snyder has, the modern audience would not be too thrilled with anything that he makes anyway. You know, maybe the maybe the Snyder Bros will show up and and buy it. So. Uh, Okay, so on the one hand, Snyder Bros, that that whole that whole thing, obsessed with everything that Snyder does. On the on the other hand, Magazine, Snyder, which one is going to balance? Which one's going to weigh more heavily? Are, they're they're going to buy it in spite of the fact that Mags is writing it. No, you know what? I I can't say that I've ever really understood the Snyder Bros. I I don't know who they are really. Um, or, or where they really fall, but um, I'm guessing they're not going to buy anything, no matter what. I, I, I don't, I don't think that they probably care who writes it. Well, that's that's just, typically of the, the the people that are out there complaining about, you know, such and such isn't woke enough or whatever. You know, they're not the real. They're not going to buy the product anyways. They're just out there right. to destroy whatever they can and then move on. Yeah, which 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 makes me wonder why Titan would hire Max. You know, do you not want to sell this book? It, you know, they might have got they might have got uh, just a check and said, "Here, here you go, make that book," and and they don't care what the sales are. I mean, maybe, maybe. But you would think, you know, since they're doing such a good, I mean, really, if, if you haven't read Conan, read Conan. That it's a good book, and the artwork on it is fantastic. You know, Del Astoria is doing some fantastic work with the art. Yeah, and I'm like you. I was always I was more into the sci-fi, yeah, maybe into the fantasy a little bit, you know. But but especially in my younger years, the sci-fi, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, you know, Battlestar Galactica, you name it. That was my that was my thing, and. I saw, you know, the Conan movie or, you know, the, 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 that genre, a couple of those movies, some of them were done well and some yeah. of them were a little campy, <laughs> but, but I never got into reading, all, you know, a lot of that stuff. And um, from, from what I heard, uh, you know, it, it sounds like it'd be interesting. And I know uh, you, you brought up the tabletop thing. I know a lot of people have been clamoring for or for something in that in that uh, in that genre, um, as you said, sandals and sorcery. You know, yeah. um, that's that's uh, something that I think a lot of people have been itching for. And well, and I think if know. if we if we end up doing our magazine, I think one of the things that we need to put in there is a role playing game module of some sort. Just a just a small oh, sure. little something just to throw in there and say. Hey, try this on for size. I don't know how we'd go about doing that. I don't know. Do we? Uh, do we I know some people? Do we know any any role playing game I people? people? I think we I, might I know a few people. 
you could just do a, a, a little, uh, you know, five room dungeon or something, you know, yeah. just kind of a straightforward, simple adventure. How many pages, yeah. how many pages do you think that would take? What goes into uh, something like that? Five, five, yeah. ten. Yeah. I was going to say, you could probably do it in four if you wanted. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you could do it in two if you really, if you really wanted, uh, depending on how, you know, tight you wanted to make it. Um, but I, I think I'm four would be a good number. Yeah. We'll, we'll think about, it. we'll think about that. We'll think about that. But you know, I haven't I haven't decided if we're gonna do this thing yet or not. I mean I know I some people who, who actually uh is a YouTuber that I follow that uh, he's diehard, you know, first well, you know, original D and D first yeah. edition and uh he's started putting out his, you know, monthly little modules for his Patreons and stuff like that. And of course he's buddies with he talks to he talks to Heidi Gygax all the time, yeah. um, you know, and uh, and Tracy Lesh, some of the classic artists from you know the old days of D and D. Well, and I've so. got some I've got some names, I've got some people that I've talked to who are interested in participating, and I would really like to mention some of the names, but. On the off chance yeah. this thing never too happens, early. I don't. I don't want to say it too early because some of them are still kind of right. tentative. But man, if I could get if I could get everything that I want to get, <laughs> this would be a phenomenal book. But you know, but see, then then the question is, how many people are going to buy it? Well, and I think I think there's I think you do it you do it both ways. You do I think quarterly is probably a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, and. You probably could do, uh, you know, both PDF and print on demand, or something, something to that effect, so that people can buy it in both. Because a lot of people they don't want to collect stuff like that. No. You know, um, I like stuff in print because, well, you know, you can't change the stuff in print. That's right. <clears throat> so, and I, I've been on a, I've been on a, I've been on a spree of late between Kickstarter and. You know, um, backer kit and other stuff like that. Um, there's a number of projects that I put in on that I think are, you know, they don't hate me. That's that's my that's my thing. <laughs> if you don't hate me, yeah. there's our there's our selling point, right? There's our slogan. You know, buy our right. book. We don't hate you. <clears throat> we don't hate you. There you go. <laughs> You know, in, in in regards to the print thing, I, I I really would prefer to have have print, but I I'm starting to accept that I'm the dinosaur on this, you know, and and you know my my tendency is to say no, try it, you know, let, can you get something back in the hands and enjoy the nostalgia and the retro feel of it and everything, and I don't know that there's enough audience to to make that happen anymore. I I, I hope there is, but well, I, I mean, start uh, Fangoria has been doing pretty well. As a as mm -hmm. a quarterly in print magazine, of course they've got the digital version of it as well. And mm -hmm. Tara Ansley has hinted at something that they're about to announce in relation to Starlog. Right. And my guess, and I've asked her about it. I sent her an email asking her about it, and I haven't heard anything back. My guess is that they're going to publish an official Starlog archive somewhere on a website somewhere. And mm -hmm. 
one of the things with it being on the internet archive it, that was a that was pirated copies you know just scan the books and whatnot and nobody made any money off of that and they did it without any permission from the starlog group right so my my initial thought is online starlog archive that's probably going to be behind a paywall yeah which uh, you know i i don't think yeah. they should put it behind a paywall they should just they should put it out there and and or or at least put part of it out there Jesus. free Jesus. because yeah. that was such a formative thing no not just not just fangoria but starlog was starlog was one of the first and we're three years out from their 50th anniversary they've got to do something right it would be well, a, there's, a there's big always, missed opportunity if they didn't yeah there's always the possibility of you you do you know uh a, a digital and then you know do like once a year a, uh, a like an annual um print version yeah. you know what i mean with the with everything together yeah uh or or semi if you did monthly you could do a quarterly <laughs> you know I, well I mean, and and one of the things that i want to do with this book if we do it is is i want to be able to and i don't know how we do this probably probably some kind of a bank loan or something, but I want to be able to pay for the production of the book before we sell the book. I don't, I don't want to sit there and have to wait for the money to come in from the crowdfunding before we can right. sit there and say, okay, everybody could do, do, do your thing. We pay the contributors, we pay the artists, we pay for the printing and all that out of the money from the crowdfunding. I would like, I would rather the crowdfunding money pay back what we've already spent on making the book. The book is ready to go. It's ready to ship. We're ready to go. How many do you want here? Yeah. And do it that yeah. way. That, that would be my preference. Well, and a lot of, a lot of the guys that have done the crowdfunding stuff, they, they started off their first one was usually the rough one because that's the one where they were trying to get the, 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 the initial finances. And then what they did is they turned around and they rolled it everything into the second one and did like you said they took that and that was what they used to finance the next the next stuff and they had it all ready to go and then launched it yeah but if, if i get you know. if i get even half the names of the people you know that i that i want to get on this thing i would want to pay them done finished before you know and not make them wait because it would not be yeah. would not be respectful of their their craft right I really I want to, I really want to tell you some names and I don't want to do I, I was like okay I I be, show's over anyway it's three o'clock we got we gotta go so third hour is up <laughs> see how that times out so yeah. oh I know right leave, leave it on hanging hanging leave hanging, hanging there leave on the hanging. Edge. all right so everybody here is our socials all of the different places where you can find us online all the different video channels the LinkedIn and uh, do sign up for our newsletter in our Discord server. Uh, so you can uh, so you can participate in the conversation over there, and I have no idea when we'll be back to do another one. Cam, Death Angel Shadow, thanks very much for calling in, and being being a part of the program, and thanks to everybody thanks in the chat and all of the different uh, platforms: Odyssey, Rumble, YouTube. If you are watching us on YouTube, if you're listening to us as a podcast. Do please go ahead and follow us on Odyssey and or Rumble. 
I've tried to get the Rumble up to 200. We've passed 500 on Odyssey. We're trying to get Rumble up to 200. So, you know, we need we need to get those numbers up because at some point, YouTube's going to decide the algorithm changes something and, and, it, and it's going to break us because yep. every three months this thing changes. And I don't want to keep reinventing this thing every three months. So we're just going to keep doing what we do, but we're not back yet. Anyway, we're not right. back yet. We're not back. Trademark. All right, that's that's <laughs> it for us today, folks. Thanks very much for being here and being a part of this. Uh, as always, this reminder. I I will I will say this though, a very very quick note. Going into winter, make sure that your airs are pro your your tires are properly inflated. Uh, so that's going to do it for us, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Remember, the politicians hate you. They're afraid of you, and. Uh, the media lies to you. God has a plan for you. There are four lights. And we don't have any credits because I had to rebuild everything because the hard drive crashed. So that's that's the show, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Bye. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2023, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.